Hi, this is Steve. Well, believe it or not, John and I have actually made it to our 100th episode. So get out your streamers, crack a bottle of champagne, sit back, relax, and listen to almost two hours of us answering your most pressing cinephile questions. That's right. After 100 episodes, it's time for our first ever official Cinephiles Q&A. It was so much fun hearing from all of you, and I think some of our answers to your questions will definitely surprise you. Some of them certainly surprised us. So that's our 100th episode Q&A coming this Friday to the Cinephiles. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of the Cinephiles. This is episode number 100. Wow. Did you think we'd be around a hundred episodes later? I'm not going to lie to you. It was touch and go. It was touch <laughs> and go. I don't I remember we were on the 50 episode mark. It was touch and go. Um, but uh, but we we had honest conversations. Yeah, 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 of course. That's what happens as this thing grows, and you know you start to feel because you had not done podcasts before, so you start to feel more comfortable. There's some things, so we had to kind of figure it all out. And once we figured it all, it's been fine since. So. Uh, e- after that, yes, I had no worries. That I think we were we've hit a rhythm there. too. Yes. I think we've really kind of figured Pe- out. People compliment us too now, saying how they go back and listen to the old episodes and see how we were still figuring it out, which is really yeah. interesting to hear. Well, it's it's funny. It took us because I've listened to the, I've probably listened to all of them twice, <laughs> and I went back and listened to some of the older ones. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, there there are certain moments I think where we sort of where it shifted, you right. know, like, cause when we started, we were trying to do one hour episodes. We were, and it was just sort of a conversation. And now we're up to two and a half, three hour episodes yeah. or, or movies. But I would argue the show is better. I, I think it is. And, and, and there are moments like apocalypse now was a big change. Uh-huh. West side story was a big change. Um, uh, uh, wrath of Khan was a big change. Blade runner was a big change. Like the ones were sort of like, mm-hmm. Oh, this is what we do. Yeah. You know? Well, and also, uh, that's uh, that's a thing for me because I always think I wake up and it's right, it's perfect. Like I never think <laughs> it's in the top ten. Like people, uh, we've started releasing the old top ten shows. Oh yeah, from when we first started as right. a gift to the patrons or, or donate a certain amount, and they're all just like, it's incredible the difference, blah blah blah. And I'm just like, oh, I, I always thought the show was the show, but because right. I, I, I'm too close to it, I don't know that right. we've changed. Necessarily, from I'm what sure you and Matt but, had little conversations along the way. Oh yeah, I mean, I don't think top ten has changed as much as Cinephiles well, has. And the reason we took a break was because right. well, you went through a huge change, and- right? And we were doing too much, yeah, and we were overwhelming each other. It yeah. was too much, which is why we're in a nice rhythm now. And the same thing here. Well, there's the thing I know you listen to the Mark Marin podcast, yeah, and one of the things you always hear is like it takes a while for the comedian to find their voice, mm-hmm. and that it's certainly for me. You had much more podcasting experience, right? It's taken some time for me to figure out. Okay, how 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 do I want to do this? How do I and and for me, of course, it's meant more and more and more prep. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it has. Um, but I think, but it's also good. made you more comfortable. Oh yeah, the prep absolutely. Has. Yeah. So before we get into our Q and A, there's one thing I want to address because it's been asked several times now on Twitter. It's been asked on Facebook, and that is why we're doing so many two part episodes. Mm. Oh really? And, okay. and and the reason and the reason is and a lot of it's just on me is that as our episodes have gotten longer and longer and we just recorded one where we recorded about 3 hours. Yeah. Is that I just can't edit it all. Yeah. You know, so if the movie and I would lo- I would love to be able to put out a whole movie every week, but if 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 our recording gets a well above 2 hours, it's going to get split into two because I just don't have the time to edit yeah. that kind of stuff in that amount of time. 
And it gives you time to listen to my other podcasts. You, you selfish bastards. You don't need three hours of one podcast. Separate it out. <laughs> you, 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 it's, you look forward. Don't you look forward to it? Why are you frustrated? Because <laughs> we're doing it. Because you're looking forward to finishing it. It makes you come back, doesn't well, it? And, over, it and o- over and over again, when we've sort of asked the question about yeah. detail, everyone has said more detail, more in yeah. depth. That's what you guys want to hear. And so that just takes more time. This is the price you have to pay for yeah. wanting more detail. Yeah. So uh, we'd announced to all of you that we're going to not do a movie for our 100th episode, but we're going to instead take some time to answer all of your questions. We got a whole bunch of uh, questions, and so I'm going to start right away. We have a question here from Jeff Cook, and Jeff Cook says, uh, and he's, by the way, from Greeley, Colorado, and he says, if you could only have five movies for the rest of your life, what are they? So this is a question you've probably had thought about a ton. Yeah, but they're not, it's not the top five movies. Right. What are the five movies I could have for the rest of my life? Yeah. Citizen Kane's not on my list, by the way. Wow. Yeah. I don't know who you are. I know. I'm sorry. Citizen Kane is definitely on my list. Um, Coming to America would have to be on my list. Because <laughs> that film makes me laugh so fucking much. When Harry Met Sally would have to be on my list. Oh, you know what? I'll put that on my list. Uh-huh. I, don't, don't steal. It's not stealing. Die Hard would be on my list. Die Hard is on my list. Jaws is on my list. And Seven Samurai. Ooh. I have Lawrence Arabia would be okay. on my list. That's your epic. That's my epic, your epic. Yeah. And uh, I might have It's a Wonderful Life on my list. Oh, good choice. Yeah. Shit. Because the, the thing, because I saw the, because I, I had like, <sighs> a, I, okay. the thing about It's a Wonderful, the thing about this movies for the rest of your life yeah. is it's got to be a movie that you go back to, you yeah. want to go back to a lot. And it's got to be a movie that they f- f- scratches a different itch. That's why I love when Harry Met Sally. That is a yeah. great because I was trying to think of a comedy, and I didn't. And, and when Harry Met Sally is really funny and romantic, yeah. All right, I toss out Coming to America because if I have a comedy with when Harry Met Sally, I'm gonna put in Hoosiers. Ooh, that's a great one for you. I have to have a sports movie. Yeah. yeah. All right, you want to get the next question? What's your five? Oh, I t- so Jaws, Die oh. Hard, Lawrence Arabia. When Harry Met Sally and It's a Wonderful Life. Wow. Jaws in there. That's a great choice. All right. This is from Tony Jenkins. John and Steve, so what are some of your guys' favorite fantasy movies? I mean, you have two from my list, Godzilla 1954 and King 1933. King Kong, rather. So Tony is a Patreon member. So his list, these are movies he's requested from there. Okay. How do you know this? Does he say this or you know this? I know this. Okay, great. (laughs) Okay. But are either of you Ray Harryhausen fans? I'm talking about some of the black and white sci-fi movies like It Came From Beneath the Sea and 20,000 Million Miles to Earth. But then some of my favorite fantasy by... Okay, Tony's got a lot to say here. But some of my favorite fantasy by Ray are Three Worlds of Gulliver, Mysterious Island, Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. Yes, I love that. Jason the Argonauts, and finally The Clash of the Titans. Do you think you might explore the world of Ray Harryhausen sometime down the line? Well, that's my main question. I can't wait till you two review more fantasy. Uh, so what are you some of your favorite fantasy movies? Well, let me just say, uh, Ray Harryhausen, Seven Voyages of Sinbad, that was huge for me. For our age, yeah. that is a yeah. movie you have to have seen. Yeah, and I love Jason and the Argonauts, Argonauts and Clash of the Titans, of course. Like So so totally love those. Uh, favorite fantasy? Well, I would say that Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope is among my favorite I fantasy I suppose movies. that counts, yeah. Um, uh, I like the Lord of the Rings movies, which you don't. Um, no, 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 no. It's not that I don't like them. It's that I don't think they're as they should be as revered as much as people revere them because yeah. I find a lot of holes and a lot of issues with those movies. Yeah, I don't think they're terrible. Um, Excalibur, agreed. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. Absolutely agreed. 
Um, that one's just awesome for me. Yeah, I think I would have to agree with that one. Harry Housen, do you think we'll tackle any Harry Housen? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, it, this is one of the hard things about picking movies for the cinephiles is I think it would be totally interesting to dig into one of those. Okay. But there's so many other movies that I would think, you know, it's like, are we going to do that? We still haven't done a Hitchcock movie, so. For God's sakes, what's wrong with us? Yeah. We got to do, we got to focus on Hitchcock for the rest of the year, I think. At least yeah. two of them. You don't seem happy about that. Oh, no, I'm totally happy. I was literally thinking about something completely different. <laughs> Stop I agree doing 100%. that. Stop fucking doing that. <laughs> Sometimes my brain goes to different places. I know. Yeah. Wait, I feel like we're missing a big fantasy one. Can I look it up real quick while you look at the other question? Sure. Now, other fantasy films, Wizard of Oz? Sure. The Princess Bride? Okay. Yeah. That might be the number one for me. Yeah. that's uh, The Harry Potter films are good fantasy films, sure. I think. I love the, I adore the books. Do you like Willow? The movie? I haven't seen it in forever. I liked okay. it when it came out, and then as I got a little older and watched it, I kind of liked it less, and I haven't seen it since. Time Bandits? I don't love it. I tried watching it again recently. People have asked us to do that film. I I, I loved it as a kid, yeah. and I tried watching it recently, and I didn't get through it. Now, is Conan the Barbarian a fantasy? Sure. Okay. Sure. Alien? No. No. That's a sci-fi. Yeah. Avatar? Sci-fi. Yeah. Jumanji? I saw it once. Okay. People love that movie. Yeah, I don't get it. The sequel was so much, or whatever that was, was so much more interesting. Okay, I think that's enough for the fantasy movie. Okay. All right, our, what's our, next? Question? Our next question is from Laura Deverson. Okay. Hi, Laura. This is also a long one, um, so, I, so I might feel free to edit this a little bit as we go. But hi, gentlemen. Congratulations on getting to this amazing milestone. I have loved every episode, even when I didn't particularly like the movie itself. That's really, that's nice to hear. It's a great compliment. Um, I always come away with a new appreciation of that film, and your work has really introduced me to some fantastic films. I would probably never have watched Yojimbo or Trial at Nuremberg. Those are two great ones. Without the cinephiles, so thank you uh, for forging the path of discovery for me. Oh, that's great. Thank you, Laura. Yeah. Here's your question. I personally really struggle with separating the artist from the art. Okay. Oh, boy. Uh, my Here opinion of, of something is always really colored by what I know or have heard about the people involved. I struggle with Kubrick films because I know how difficult he was. I appreciate the skill and craft behind them, but I have real emotive block in enjoying them. I've seen footage of people like David O. Russell, who are just downright abusive. And with the revelations of the Me Too movement, do you think it is unfair to criticize a piece of art if you have an issue with the contributors? Thanks again uh, for taking my question and enjoy all of your success. Uh, cheers, Laura. Well, I'm a little mad at Laura. Okay. Because it's Judgment at Nuremberg. Right. So if you're going to say something, <laughs> I struggle now to be emotive with you, Laura. <laughs> no, no, no. This is a great question. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a question that's really blossomed in power over the last couple of years, year because of the Me Too movement and the Times Up movement. Yeah, uh, so I struggle with this too, and I and, and so I think first of all we have to kind of divide it up. I tend to try to divide up hard questions. Mm -hmm. Is that first of all, it's sort of about whether or not what we do in the future and what we do with their work of the past. Well, that goes to the past. Yeah. So, <laughs> yes. Speaking of Gladiator. Um. So. Um. The, uh, like, am I going to see Woody Allen's next movie? Probably not. Mm -hmm. You know, if I were an actor who Woody Allen wanted to work with them, would I work with him? Probably not. Mm. You know, how do I feel about some of my favorite movies of all times that are Woody Allen movies? And that's where it gets more difficult. And, and I have several thoughts about it because I'm really struggling with this too. Mm -hmm. And so first of all, Bill Cosby to me is out. Like yeah. I, I, he was so important to me. I memorized all those albums. Right. I love Bill Cosby so much. And to me, who he Bill Cosby was continually representing himself as a person in his art in a certain way, and that was a lie. Mm -hmm. And I cannot 
his work has been destroyed for me. Yeah. I cannot watch an episode of the Cosby show or listen to one of those comedy albums and not know that this is all a lie. It is ruined. Yeah. Here's when it comes to a film director, like is Woody Allen becoming more and more problematic person for me? Yeah, he is. Okay. Is crimes and misdemeanors, which we did on this show, one of my favorite films. Yes, it is. Is Martin Landau's performance diminished by who Woody Allen is as a person? Yeah. You know, a, a, a movie is a team effort. And what I, this is where I've come to at this moment. And this is in flux. Cause I'm think I literally am thinking about this. There's a day doesn't go by that. I'm not thinking about this problem is I don't want the terrible things they do to take something away from me that I love. Mm. Like the declaration of independence is written by Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson is a slave owner. Right. He is, you know, ostensibly or essentially a rapist you know, who, who continued to own the children of the woman that he owned that he was having sex Sally with. Sally Hawkins, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so how should I feel about the Declaration of Independence? Should I reject it? No. The Declaration of Independence is an amazing document that has shaped our country. And so I have to be able to have a complicated thought about and, and, and look clearly at this person and say, this person was a genius who did all these things that were great. And he did all these things that were terrible. Yeah. And that's kind of where it's same, same like Woodrow Wilson's another president who I think about who was, you know, founder of the league of nations had the 18 points of, of that we, you know, about human rights and all this stuff. And he was a tremendous, tremendous racist. Yes, he was. And so, and to me, like I should be able to hold both of those thoughts about him at the same time, you know, so Roman Polanski was a brilliant director mm -hmm. And he was a, you know, a Holocaust survivor and his family was killed by the Mansons and he was a rapist and like, and I should be able to keep all of that straight. That's sort of, that's where I am at this moment today. Well, I would say that that's pretty much where everyone's at. And I think that's most people, to be honest with you, because is, this is a, a personal question. Very personal. So you can decide for yourself and you if you want to judge other people for not believing the way you believe about it, that's fine. But art is subjective. And because it's subjective, the artists within it are, are just as prone to the subjective approach or, or um, uh, subjective analysis that you would like to do. So, yes, I don't know everything about what happened with Bill Cosby, but I know for me, I'm with Steve. Like, I don't want... I. Like it's so funny you bring this up. The other day I was listening to and on my iPod and or on my iPhone, and uh, uh, the Ray Charles song came on that they do yep. as an anniversary gift oh, to their parents, and it's one of the iconic episodes, iconic scenes in that show. And yet I have to divorce my smile from that memory because of that person who was right. involved in it. And I'll never go back and watch a Cosby Show or like you listen to an album or watch it. It's just too frustrating. With Woody, it's it's getting worse. But I also rail against the hypocrisy that's going on a little bit uh, uh, on these actors that all of a sudden don't want to work with Woody, all of a sudden have an issue with it because everyone else has an issue with it. Now they're all coming out with these statements like, oh, I'll never work with, I donated the money, blah, blah. What were you thinking before? You didn't all of a sudden have an incredibly intense... No, it's because the public's taste for it changed. You, to stay relevant, to stay famous, to stay popular, you've changed your point of view on it because it's acceptable. But I commend people who change their points of views on something when it's not acceptable, when it's not uh, um, de rigueur, for lack of a better French term, to do it. I respect that stance way more than someone who goes along with the crowd because the crowd has turned. I have way more respect for people who are not working with Woody 
the first time they heard about this with the Soon Yi stuff. Right. As soon as they said, and Roman Polanski too, we gave him an Oscar for The Pianist. Right. Like now we would never allow him to do something right. like that. But those are the, how far do you go with Ilya Kazan? These are all subjective things, and you have to decide for yourself what you feel comfortable with, what you don't feel comfortable with. If you can live with yourself, that's enough. That's the subjective nature of art. No one should tell you, you should stop listening to them. You should stop watching. It's your choice. Well, and there's there's this weird ancillary thing, which is that if you don't if if you don't reject this person, then you are as bad as that person. And right. I don't like that. I don't think that's yeah, that's not true. I think some of this some because because the thing is is like you have the Harvey Weinstein's and the Bill Cosby's, right. and, and, and they're at a certain level. Yeah, you know, or um, I'm not throwing out my Weinstein films. Yeah, like Mir Miramax. I'm not throwing out Goodwill Hunting because he produced it. Yeah, I'm not. It, well, this is why these are team efforts. Yeah. And the, the one thing, by the way, on the Woody Allen one, but I had read all the stuff mm-hmm. and I had read very persuasive things coming from Mia Farrow, but then I had also read very persuasive things coming from Woody Allen yeah. and I had read what the police things were and I yeah. watched that Woody Allen documentary I know we both watched right. and I went, I can't really know what happened here. Right. And so I hung back and what's changed that for me in the last few months is uh, Ronan Farrow. Right. And he is so brilliant and so smart and is so that now I'm kind of going, you know what? But so was his quote-unquote dad if his dad is really woody allen and not frank sinatra right then he's just as so it's not that i don't it's not that i doubt ronan it's like i said it's subjective But ronan has been spending his life doing this work yeah sure you know what i mean it's tough anyway let's move on to our next question (laughs) but i do want to say one last thing to laura laura you have a right to not have an emotive connection to kubrick's stuff it's not the most emotively connective film (laughs) work anyway but if you have an issue with kubrick and all you have every right not to feel emotive and you should not vilify yourself and you should not let anyone else vilify you for having that uh, opinion all right, our next question comes from Martin Windigger, I believe. Is that correct, Steve? Yeah. Hello, Steve and John. Really enjoying the cinephiles. I usually watch the movies before listening to your discussions, so I haven't heard all the episodes yet. You constantly give me more reasons to finally catch up on my movie list, which is still way too long. Is there any movie you would love to talk about on the show, but you don't because it doesn't fit the criteria of the show? Greetings from Austria. Keep doing what you're doing. Uh, Martin, I lived in Vienna for 10 days. Austria is a beautiful country. Thank Absolutely. you for sending that in. Uh, Steve. The criteria of the show. Well, the big criteria of the show is the 10-year mark, you know? Yeah. And, yeah, there's tons of movies in the, the last criteria 10 criteria of the show is what we want to do. A great film. Yeah. yeah. So, so well, like we talked about just a few minutes ago, yeah. like the, the Ray Harryhausen movies oh, yeah. of like, sure. uh, maybe that doesn't fit. And, well, and, and there are other movies that I really like, and I kind of am like, well, maybe that doesn't, just isn't at the level. Right. Well, and there are other things too, like we, so, so one thing, you know, we check out how many people download an episode each week. Yeah. And it's very clear that our choice in movies has a lot to do with it. Yeah. So when we do Dark Knight, a lot of people download that episode. Right. And when we do... Um, some like it hot. Some like it hot. Fewer people are going to download that episode. Now, some like it hot's an amazing movie, mm-hmm. and there are a lot of movies where you and I have had the conversation of kind of like, is anyone going to want to listen to that? Yeah. Even if we really dig it. So, yeah. yeah. You'll never do Coming to America. Oh uh, no, I'll do it. If you really love it, I'll do it. See, that's I, the thing. So yeah. the, it doesn't fit the criteria of the show because it's not a great comedy. It's a fantastic comedy. It's fun. It's a lot of. But it's a. You know it, what I think it is about coming to America, by the way, is that I'm a couple of years older than you. Okay. Is that for me, it's Beverly Hills Cop. That is the pinnacle for, uh, of Eddie Murphy see, for me. And that's a great point because yeah. you're right. I think you're right because I don't have. I respect Beverly Hills Cop a lot, but it's not one I'll put yeah. on because yeah. there's more humor in coming to America. Coming to America is more of a straight up comedy. I think one of the Jim Carrey films, uh, one of the comedies, yeah. I would love to do 
one of those comedies. Not Ace, probably Liar Liar, or even Yes Man, which I I have a terrible love for that movie. Yeah. So well, and this is the thing too. Like so, we'll John and I will bend to some degree. Yes. Like we have a guest who really wants to do something, and we're kind of like, eh, yeah, we'll we'll do it. If I'm really passionate about something, you'll do it. If you're yeah. really passionate, I'll do it. And but there's only so far we'll bend, and there's only so far that we want to bend the other one. Like yeah. if I get a sense from you, and if you get a sense from me of like. I'm not really digging it. <laughs> yeah. And it's hard to, because we, the show's a lot of work. We had a guest we were potentially looking at with the same thing, where that yeah. occurred, and we won't say names, but like where we could not settle on a movie, and then eventually yeah. we lost the guest. Yeah. Because we could not settle on a movie that all three of us could agree with. Yeah, and which is, I, I, you and I both kept having a bad feeling. Yeah. And that's not a way to start. That's not a good thing, yeah. All right, our next question is from F- uh, Flogure Flogure. I don't know. I like that. <laughs> made me think of Sirhan Sirhan, which is <laughs> no. not cool. Um, okay. Hey, Stephen Sean, first of all, thank you for reading my question. You are welcome. I've been a fan of the podcast for a long time now, and it helped me appreciate and love certain films even more. Thank you for that. That's awesome. That is our whole goal. Why, yes. Cinephiles. Very much so. My question, what are some of your favorite hidden gems, movies not enough people have seen, or movies that you feel are underappreciated? Hmm. Maybe you could list some of the reasons why you love these movies as well. Would love to hear your picks. All the best and greetings from Austria. Yeah, two in a row from Austria. I love it. Well, since you said I was in Austria when I was ten years old, and I had some strudel and it was delicious. (laughs) Um, I dated a girl. Her (laughs) kisses were also delicious. (laughs) You think your girl is better than my strudel? Yeah, I think so. I would think so. Um, Hidden gems. Um, I'm so bad at coming up with lists on the spot, but the one that I love Mm -hmm. is, uh, which I don't think you've seen, is a movie called Seven Days in May. Which is John. I have not seen that. Yeah. yeah. I it's John Frankenheimer, it's Kirk Douglas, it's Burt Lancaster, mm-hmm. um, uh, it's um Ava Gardner, and I mean it, it's a great cast. It's written by Rod Serling, directed by John Frankenheimer. Yeah. I think it's the one he made after Manchurian Candidate, but I'm not sure. Okay. And it is just a really great political thriller that I've watched many, many, many times. Okay. Um, and and but yeah, it's a definitely a hidden gem. I'm gonna answer this question. Uh hold on. Oh, he's pulling out. For those of you not watching, <laughs> John Roca has pulled out his entire DVD collection. This is my Criterion collection. Oh, wow. And it's very big. So I would say the sword, yeah, the sword of Doom is a phenomenal samurai film. Oh, it's great. Yeah. That a lot of people have not seen. And it's Toshiro Mifune against Tatsuya Nakadai, which, which is fantastic. Uh, Sol- Solaris, the Russian Solaris, three hours. Not- it's great. I've never watched it. It's so good. Yeah. Not the Clooney one. The Russian, the original Russian one from the 70s is incredible. Uh, oh, I do have Paths of Glory. We should watch that sometime. Okay. Um, Paths of Glory I want to do sometime. I love that. We should totally do that one sometime. Where did I put the other one that I was looking at? Ah, Chimes of Midnight. Another great one from Wells. If you have not seen that, it is essentially the five plays uh with false stuff all put together into one film so i would say those and a great hitchcock one the 39 steps a mm, lot of people sure. have not seen the 39 steps robert donat's a star of that one and it starts in a theater and ends in a theater and it's a phenomenal great. film that goes all around the world and i would throw a stupid one in oh i would throw a french one in from Gerard Depardieu called uh, Tous les Montants du Monde, which is All the Mornings of the World. Never seen it? Yeah. Uh, Depardieu's son plays him as a young man who falls in love with his mentor's daughter, mm-hmm. and he's a, a cellist, I think, and he falls in love with his... The, and it, it's their it, tumultuous romance that shapes him as he gets older and he becomes a 
uh, teacher, he is embittered by the end of that relationship, and he goes back in time because someone comes to play for him that is able to hit the notes that brings him back to that time. It's an incredible film. Um, I'll add two more. Okay. And this definitely, these also fall in the category of movies that I don't know our cinephiles would download. Yeah. One is when we talked about a bunch, which okay. is F.W. Murnau's The Last Laugh. Oh. Early silent film. Yeah. It is one of, it's the, it's my favorite silent movie. It is profound and okay. powerful and moving. And then um, uh, The Rules of the Game, which is um, oh, Renoir. Yes. That's a Criterion one as well. It is. Have you ever seen it? No. Oh. Should I pick that up next time there's a sale? Yeah. It's great. Do you know how many films I've picked up for? I, I do like, too. You and I do the same. Yeah, it's 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 a horrible addiction. I have a big stack. I mean, the good thing is, is when I get a Criterion, I know I can get a Cinephiles episode out of it. Because oh yeah, it's going to have all the stuff that I need. I would add Zora the Gay Blade, but I don't want to. All right, <laughs> I watched that so much <laughs> in the seventies. I would love to do that as a patron. Uh, <laughs> I, when was the last time you saw it? A year ago. I have it on DVD. My last time I saw it twenty five years. What? Ago. Yeah, I'll put it on right now. All right. Um, this is from Luke James. Hello to you, Stephen John. I am wondering, what was it like when you found other people who thought of movies in the way you do? Was it a friend in college or a colleague at work? Who was the first person you nerded out with about movies? Kind regards, Luke Riley from Merry Old England. Thank you, Luke. Um, I'm going to say not movies, but the first person I really nerded out with mm. is probably uh, Jeff Johnson, okay. who was a friend I met in high school. And it was the first person who I really loved comic books and fantasy and science okay. fiction and movies and science stuff and all of the whole thing. So you and, did nerd out with him about movies. Yes, but it was about, I think comic books a, a, was, a number the, of things. Comic books was the first thing okay. you really nerded out about. Hmm. I would have to say my best friend, Maurice, who's right. still my best friend, yeah. who is the city manager in Charlottesville, Virginia. We were deep into movies from high school on from 15 years old on. We would like go to see movies all the time and talk about them and rent them and watch them. It was so great. We'd have these conversations. So definitely. But the person who really turned me on to film and taught me how to look at film was my friend Wade Niziolek. I hope I'm saying that right. From Charlottesville, Virginia. He essentially, when I worked there for a year and a half before I came to Florida State, he essentially ran a mini film class with me as his only student. Yeah. When I worked overnight. That's always sounded like it was really formative it's for incredible. you. It's yeah. incredible. He's so many films he brought in to teach me and it was uh, i wouldn't be here now without it uh okay next uh is yeah. uh uh claiborne williams claiborne. clay clay williams so hey guys this is claiborne claiborne williams as you probably know i'm a huge fan of of you both and love supporting this amazing show yes we do and we are very appreciative of your support <laughs> Thank you, claiborne. i have two questions two questions are not allowed rejected but i'm not going to read the rest of this no i'm just kidding um um if that's okay, my first question is, what film release in the five last five years do each of you want to do an episode of right now? The Phantom Thread. Oh, Phantom Thread, which I still haven't seen. Mm. Um, uh, I would love to do Avengers Infinity War. Yes. That'd, yeah. That would be so much fun yeah. to dissect. Well, yeah, I'll tell you something I was thinking. I don't think we're going to do it. Mm -hmm. But I was like, you know what would be really fun is, and not all of them are great films, so they don't qualify, is to do the entire Marvel series. Oh, that would be fun. Building to Avengers Infinity War. Sure. You know, I mean, I don't know. 19 films. Yeah. Well, or 18, rather. Yeah. Well, and most of them, you know, the, look, look, assuming we we're could doing, skip some, we're doing this for the next 10 years. If we were to do that, then <laughs> yeah. maybe we would have time to do all those films. We would take three months out of, and then do those films back to back to back to back. We could. Yeah. But those would be two parters. Most of them. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, 
Some of them don't take that much. <laughs> well, no, we would skip you know Dark we could, World. Yeah. And we would skip Iron Man 2. Yeah. Um, um, okay. That, uh, yeah. Yes. Do you have another one? Or? What, what was the question? Oh, the second question. In my what was the first qu- question? Uh, film in the last five years. You said uh, Phantom Thread. Arrival. Oh, Arrival's great. Yeah. Yeah. That is any, any Denis Villeneuve, Sicario, Arrival, or Blade Runner 2049. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Second question. Uh, in what films uh, do you... Do one of you want to analyze, even though it'll probably never... Oh, what What do you want to do that will probably never happen? It's sort of like what we've already had. Mm. Whether you guys can't agree on the particular film, it's too poorly received to consider, or it's way too unknown. I feel like we've already kind of hit yeah. that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, hope of all that makes sense to you. Keep up the amazing work. Thank you, Clay. We, Thank you, Clay. We, we, will, we will keep up the amazing work. <laughs> we'll do our best. John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Steve, and as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards, and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, Thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. All right. Uh, the next one's from Niall Martin. Hi, Stephen John. I'm a big well, fan of this is oh. like a Yeah, it's a long one. I'm a big fan of your podcast and I've been a Patreon subscriber for some time now, worth every cent. I hope that you two still experience the same joy you did when you first started doing the podcast. Yes. And if the quality of the pod is any indication, it seems like you two are having more fun than ever before. I have a question that I often wrestle with while studying cinema in college, but never felt anyone could adequately answer it. There are so many different mediums within the larger realm of entertainment, for example, music, literature, television, film, etc. It's a long question, so I'm reading this as fast as possible. Yet, out of all these different formats, it seems that uh, film or cinema is the only medium that is constantly being recycled. That is, ideas or stories are continuously being reused or reframed as someone's own work. I think a perfect example, despite its widely accepted failure, is Gus Van Sant's cycle. That film not only happens to be a copy of the original, it was literally produced as an exercise experiment in frame-by-frame recreation. Yes. In the arena of music... You know he's got He's got a bolded oh, shit. section. Oh, Where's this, the section? This like Let's get three. to that. So there's just a right. bolded question here. Yeah. I think we should just answer that. In essence. Well, okay, okay, director, calm down. I was getting there. In essence, <laughs> I guess my question is, why is the medium of film so much more susceptible to use recycled ideas and even imagery? Well, if I could answer this first, I would say, A, that's not true. Because look at movie, look at music. The whole controversy that happened with music, the sampling 
was people yeah. legitimately That's a great point. using, like uh, with MC Hammer, Can't Touch This, Rick James song, Super Freak. And so it was using that, and then with Vanilla Ice using Under Pressure, Queen's Under Pressure. So sampling was a whole big thing, and it still goes on. I still discover songs that I didn't know were the basis right. for other songs. Like Will Smith's Summertime song from Fresh Prince and DJ Jazzy Jeff from Fresh Prince. That is based on a 70s soul song. I had no idea till I heard no. it the other day on the 70s CXM channel. So uh, I would say it's not more susceptible. I would say it's as susceptible with music. But the reason is because every generation has the same ideas and thinks that they're having that idea for the first time. But they go back and they do their own version of it because the parameters around that idea occurring to them have changed as society has changed. And Shakespeare said there's only six plots or stories that you can tell in the history of man. So, well, I think mankind. I think in the realm that you're talking about, like in terms of sampling, it's sort of here's something I'm going to take mm-hmm. and then I'm going to build my own thing off of it. But I also think where it's different in film is the Let's do a new Lost in Space TV show. Let's do a new, right. you know, the constant repetition of thing. And in my answer to it, why it's so prevalent in film and TV is money. Is that, sure. is that if you're going to cut an album, it's not, some albums are expensive, but right. for the most part, it's actually not that much money. Let's, let's say you spent $5 million to cut an album. That would be a really a ton of money. That's a lot of money. To make an album. That would be a very inexpensive movie or yeah. TV show. And when you're going to make something for $100 million or $200 million or more, then you have big, big corporations and banks and the in investors involved. And those people are very conservative. Yes. They want something that's the same. And so branding and the properties and the toys and the merchandising and all that stuff has to all be on point. Mm-hmm. And that is, I think, why there's so much imitation. But yes, and then if I could have a, if we could take a more kinder approach as a possibility, it's also because these original versions made people feel good. Right. And so you want to recreate them for a new generation. And you know people are going to come see Star Wars. Right. Because they have all that feeling from exactly. generational. If you do it right and touch them, which is why I think Force Awakens is the most successful yeah. of them all, even though I love Rogue One the most, because it's the one that evokes the original trilogy yeah. more honestly, than, more authentically than any of them have done before. And when you have your choice between do I spend $250 million for a movie plus another couple hundred dollars, million dollars in marketing, yeah. do I want to do that with a Star Wars property or this thing that someone just invented? Yeah. You're going to go with the Star Wars property. Exactly. All right. Next question. Uh, oh, this is uh, Matthew Yasso. Yes. Um, so greetings. A few questions. A few questions. You have four questions. <laughs> All right. You've been a big supporter of the show, so we'll, we'll do it this time. Uh, oh, just pick whichever one you think is best. Well, we'll see. Okay. Uh, what is a movie both of you refuse to even do? Um, That's great. What we did, one of them recently, was we chose not to do The Three Musketeers. Yes. Because I started watching it, and I, I loved it as a kid, and I wasn't liking it. But that's that not much. a refuse. I think what he's trying to say is one that people revere, it, but you don't want to do Oh, there was one recently that someone suggested that both of us were just like, no. Yeah. Oh, it was, uh, it was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the, the original one. No, that's not We're looking for a classic one. What's yeah. a classic film you don't want to do? Um, like, you just have no interest in doing. I don't know. Barry Lyndon. I yeah, would, we talked about yeah. Good God, I would never want to do that. I mean, there's five more Kubrick movies that I'll do before I do Barry Lyndon. I'll never do Barry Lyndon. Yeah, you can do get a guest on. I, if, you, if you have, <laughs> I a, 
I don't want to. I was just saying, I refuse to do that <laughs> stupid ass film. Why are you breaking up with me? No, Barry no, Lyndon. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm allowing you to have a celebrity card and sleep with another person. Um, oh, and this one's directed at me. Steve, what movie are you going to use to get back at John from doing Armageddon? <laughs> he already did, Matthew. Police story. He already did. I don't know if I can quite. <laughs> I can well, you're that. not supposed to agree with it. All right. Is there a classic film that you are surprised no one has suggested? No, we get a lot of suggestions. No one has suggested any Shakespeare. Oh, that's true. No one's ever suggested, uh, uh, which we should do is Branagh's Henry V. Yeah. Henry V. We should absolutely do that. Yeah. But no one suggested any of Olivier's Richard right. III, which no. won him an Oscar, right. and Hamlet. Yep. Um, those are two incredibly interesting films to explore. Um, I don't know that we've gotten... Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, yeah. I mean... There's a thousand great movies, and we've gotten a several hundred suggestions. So I'm sure right. there's lots of things. No one suggests a spark. Um, oh, that's true. No, I think it's on the. I think it's on the Patreon. Is it? It's oh. on a Patreon pick. Uh, what are you guys going to do? When are you going to do the ultimate crossover and have Matt Nose on this show and Morris on the top ten? Well, some of that is coming soon. Yes, um, very soon. Yes, you'll see. You'll see. All right. Next and the question. other side is coming soon as well. Matt and I are talking about it more. John and Steve. This is from Joe Bazella. Good name. John and Steve. I was just wondering if you guys had any advice for people who wish to become development executives at a studio one day. Thank <laughs> you guys for all the content that you provide. And congrats on the milestone. He's at NYU. Uh, go get him. Go get him, Joseph. Maybe you'll hire us one day. Yeah. So so first of all, I don't know that we're the right people to ask. But we know some executives. And we all do. of them started as being assistants. Yes. So I would say come out and do the horrible job of being a Hollywood assistant yep. at a studio. And that seems to be the path. Even an NBC page you can end up being a development executive as well. But yes, assistant is the way to go. Yeah. All right. Uh, And then uh, watch my movie, The Assistants, available on iTunes, because it's all about Hollywood assistants. Shameless. (laughs) Shameless. All right, next. Uh, Next question is from Ben Jones. Hey, guys, thank you for such a great podcast. It's always nice to see a new episode appear on my feed. You are welcome. Thank you. Uh, My question is, what film from this decade is most likely worthy of a future episode? I think we kind of already got one. Oh, you know another one that occurred to me? Go ahead. Uh, her Spike Lee that's or a, Spike Jones. I mean, that's a great film. I really like that movie. I would a lot. love to dissect. Yeah, that that's film. a really interesting. Movie. Yeah, is that the only question? Yep. Okay. Uh, Taryn Baker. Hello, my name is Taryn Baker. Got that? Oh, Taryn Barker. Sorry, Taryn Barker. Recently, I wa- I rewatched Stand by Me, and it, run- it reminded me of how important friendship can be. My question is, what friendships on film had the most impact on you, and what made you think about the relationships you have with people in your own lives? Thanks, and keep up the good work. It's an interesting question. Um, One leaps to mind for me. Yeah. Uh, uh, Morgan Freeman and uh, uh, Tim Robbins in Shawshank Redemption. Shawshank, sure. That's a great friendship. That's a fantastic friendship. And that ending is always very moving. To yeah. Me. That's a that's a movie that's coming. It's been re- it's one of our most requested films. Yeah. And we definitely plan on doing it. It's yeah. just finding the right time, maybe the right guest. Yeah, I talked about it on the Sending the Wolf podcast with Clark Wolf. It's just a phenomenal film to revisit. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of friendships that I like a lot. I like the Die Hard oh, friendship with uh, Reginald with, Val Johnson absolutely. and, Die Hard, and uh, Bruce Willis. Yeah. Um, this one isn't exactly a movie friendship, mm. but it becomes a movie friendship, and that is Kirk and Spock. Oh, Kirk yes. and Spock is one of the great friendships of all time. That's a great choice. Um, uh, there's also Lethal Weapon. There's uh, those are good one. I mean, my favorite friendship, and it is in a movie, but it's really in the books, which is I've talked about them before. The Aubrey Matcher and Master and Commander. The, that's my favorite right. friendship in all of literature. Right. And the one that's Russell Crowe and um, Vision. What's Paul Bettany. Name? Paul Bettany is great. Um, that's why I don't know if I do well on the showdown. I don't have those names. You gotta have them. Gotta have those names. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. Well, I think, um, and uh, although it didn't start on film, I would say uh, Kermit and Fozzie have a oh, great friendship. Fantastic right? friendship. Wouldn't you say that? I love, so Kermit and Fozzie, that's the kind of thing I love where it's just, they meet each other and that's it. Yeah. They're good. Yeah. Yeah. Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid. Yeah. All right. Um, from Ryan Fiquette. Uh, which films from this decade would you eventually think become a classic? Okay, Ryan, we please see other answers to this question we've had yes. earlier. Do you want to do the next one? Oh, uh, sure. Matthew Kearns. Hi, Stephen and John. Huge fan of your work. Hello, Matthew. In fact, this is my favorite podcast. Awesome. I have just two questions. Thank you. Who are some of your film idols, directors, actors, writers? And what is your favorite performance in a film? Thank you for taking the time to read this, Matthew Kearns. Hmm. I mean, the you know, I think we talked about so many of them, you know, um, like in terms of, you know, Orson Welles is just inescapable. Mm -hmm. um, although he's also very troubling. Kubrick is inescapable and also very troubling. Yes. Uh, I, Akira Kurosawa. Kurosawa, Spielberg. that out there. Spielberg, yes. You know, and then I'm also really drawn to what I would call the nice guy directors mm. who maybe aren't of quite the same stature, but who I, they're not troubling, which is like Ron Howard mm. and Rob Reiner, who, sure. you know, maybe not today are quite in their prime, but mm. at the time made lots of really good movies and everyone likes working with them and they're nice people, you know? Yeah, I would throw Tarantino in there for me. Sure. Um, not in the nice guy category. No, no, but it's certainly as a director. But actors, so many. There's I mean, Burt Lancaster, Kirk Douglas, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis. Jimmy Stewart. Uh, Jimmy Stewart, yes, absolutely. Uh, Eddie Murphy in the early times. Um, Tom Hanks, Harrison Ford sure. in his prime. Yes. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep. Same some names and women here. Who, 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 and Meryl Streep, who Catherine I believe Hepburn. is... Might be the greatest actor of all time. Meryl you Street. think Meryl Streep? Yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean, I just never seen her not be good. I love Nicholas. I have a terrible love for Nicholas Cage. Yeah. Uh, in, sure. in just about anything. Jack Nicholson when he's Nicholson. doing his Nicholson thing. Yeah. There's a ton. There's so many. Um, Brando, of course, and James Dean as well. A uh, favorite performance in a film? I'll tell you one that just moved the shit out of me, <laughs> and that's Anthony Hopkins in Remains of the Day. That's a great. I would love to do that film on, on. Sure, yeah, I'd do it. That's such. I haven't a seen it in a while. Really, I just reread the book recently, mm. but I haven't watched the movie in a while. I have it saved as one not to delete on my DVR. Like I go back to it and watch those <laughs> the, scenes. The moment of him clutching the book oh. to his chest is like I'm just bawling. Yeah. You know? um, Denzel Washington in Malcolm X, absolutely, is phenomenal. I love Denzel Washington, by the way. That's another one. We should, uh, I would say uh, uh, um, Daniel Day-Lewis in Lincoln is borderline incredible, transcendent. And um, Jimmy Stewart in It's a Wonderful Life. Absolutely. It, there's a reason people love that film. It's because yeah. of him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did I read that or did you? Yeah, I did. Okay. Uh, so our next question is from Michael Hawkins. Hello, Stephen John. My question is in two parts. What movie would you want to feel that, that first time bliss of watching? Oh, we kind of already talked about this. Yes. But it was in a Patreon thing, wasn't it? Uh, yes, it was. I think it was. Um, Jaws and Jurassic Park for me. And also, what movie would you want to see in theaters for, for its first run? And he says his answers are Jaws and The Godfather. Ooh. I would love to see Citizen Kane in its first run. That would be an amazing <sighs> thing to go to a theater in 1941 when nobody understands what this really is and see yeah. that movie. I would agree with that. I would um, agree with that. Lawrence of Arabia would be interesting in its first run. Yeah. Um, Shit. I mean, I, there's certainly because I love to take people to Lawrence Arabia for the first time. Yeah, that's a that's one that's really fun. Um, What's the first question? What was the first question? First part of the question? What would you like to have be able to see fresh that you've never seen before and go see it in the theater? Seven Samurai. Oh yeah, that would be cool. First time I saw that. Good God. Yeah, and I would throw in, and this is probably not a 
choice on anyone's mind, but uh, Brana's Hamlet. I saw it sure. at the Uptown on 70 millimeter. You went with your dad. Right? I took my dad. Yeah, it was one of the, and my mom. It was one of the most incredible experiences seeing a film. Incredible. It's it's funny because I'm thinking now of the when I first saw certain movies, my best experiences in the mm-hmm. theater. I saw Die Hard all by myself. I'm the only person in the theater knowing nothing about the film. Oh yeah. You know, the first time I, I remember going to see The Matrix. I remember going to see. Um, uh, there was another. Oh, uh, one we just did, Fight Club. Mm-hmm. Like there's certain I can, and I have such a strong memory of the first time I saw that film. Yeah, yeah. You know, or Enter the Dragon. The first time I saw that. Ooh, I feel that way about Seven. Oh, first Seven. T- the first time I saw Seven, I was I couldn't breathe afterwards. Can I tell you a secret about Seven? Go ahead. The first time I saw it. Yeah, that's the last time I saw it. <laughs> I love that. It was so hard on me, and I never watched it again. Oh wow! I mean, we should do it. I want. I know it's one Damn you want right, to do. We We're going to do it. Yeah. I would love. It's to a do great it. movie. I haven't watched it since I saw it in the Chinese theater twenty plus years ago. The Abyss is one I'd like to see again for the first time. I love that movie. Broke me in half. That movie. Well, that's such a mix because the the end is sort of just whichever version is. The director's cut is the best one. It's the, yes. even the director's cut is kind of like oh because I for that one was one where I remember seeing it. The scene with Ed Harris trying to bring her back to life is one of the most amazing scenes I've ever seen in a movie. Both those scenes, her drowning and her, him yep. bringing her back to life are incredible. Amazing scenes. I'm like, this movie is one of the greatest movies I've ever seen. It and was. then it got to the end yeah. and I went, what the fuck was that? <laughs> and then I had heard about for years, yeah. oh, there's another. That's there's not a his phantom version. director's cut. And yeah. then the director's cut came out and I went, I'm finally going to see the greatest movie yeah. ever time. And I got to the end of the director's cut and I went, huh? <laughs> And they're both flawed. Yes. They're both flawed movies. Yeah. Uh, all right. Our next one? Yeah. All right. This one comes to us from Nathan Williams. Am I right on that? Yep. Hi, John slash Steve. I've been a big fan of the podcast since its early episodes. Thank you, Nathan. It always brightens up my week, and you've helped me to both celebrate many of my favorite films and discover many new ones I may otherwise have never encountered. I sincerely thank you both for your time and effort, and as long as you keep recording, I will be listening. Thank you. That's really nice. That's very nice. Thank you, you, Nathan. My question is, what are some of your favorite novels that mean the most to you and why? Oh, what a nice left turn. Kind regards, Nathan Williams, 23 London, UK. UK. What are you saying? Oh, you take this one first. Okay. So, well, I already talked about the Patrick O'Brien, Aubrey Matron novels, those which I'm rereading now for the fifth time. Yeah. And I adore them. Um, There's a a long list. Um, Okay. Everything from like, it depends on, I associate different books with different times in my life. Mm-hmm. So there was a huge time in my life where I discovered fantasy and science fiction. And that was Piers Anthony was what I started oh, yeah, with and, and Isaac Asimov and Ray Bradbury and all those guys and Heinlein. And then I, when I discovered James Clavell, that was like a huge thing. Yeah. And I've, and although, you know, to some degree I've kind of grown a little past them, but I mm-hmm. still will go back and read Noble House and Taipan and King Rat again. Sure. Cause I, cause I love those books. I got to say, and this is controversial, I love Ayn Rand. Oh, wow. Yeah. I hate her conclusions about lots of stuff, but I've read The Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged over and over and over again. You enjoy the journey. I do. I I love those stories. And Mm. she's, it's funny, something came up, we we just recorded Fight Club, Mm -hmm. and something came up in Fight Club where there's the difference between someone's observations and their conclusions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Ayn Rand has amazing observations about humans and how they work, and her conclusions are horrible. (laughs) <laughs> and so part of me reading those books oh, again is arguing with her in my head. I see. So um, in the abyss, you don't mind the conclusion, but here I'm talking about the philosophical conclusion, okay. the well, conclusion the of the ideas of the abyss. Fair. Um, how about you? Oh, uh, and uh, uh, oh, yeah. Stephen King. That's uh, I, I like Stephen King. I a will lot. echo Steve. Yeah, I've read a whole Stephen bunch of Stephen King. King. Even the Bachman stuff. I enjoy reading. Yeah. 
Um, Sorry, I want. I love books. Sure, I, I know more. that's why I want you to take yeah, it first. Uh, uh, I, I think J.K. Rowling is an unbelievable writer, and she is underappreciated. Mm-hmm. And not only the Harry Potter books. How the fuck is she underappreciated? Are because you nuts? they built a fucking land that I worked at. Well, because things that are that's true. Stephen King doesn't have a land. But things that are both well, Stephen King's the same thing. That pe- things that are popular. Yeah. The intelligentsia poo poos. You know, and yeah. and so Stephen King doesn't get the respect that he deserves, and J.K. Rowling doesn't get the respect that she deserves, and not only the Harry Potter books, the best textbook of planting and payoffs of anything I have ever read ever. Her ability to plant something in the first book yeah. that is going to come back later and be important, you know, six books later, yeah. amazing. Okay. Um, also, the, the book she wrote under a pseudonym, the Robert Galbraith novels, uh-huh. the mysteries, they're great. Okay. All right. I'll show Are we up. good? I, gotta, oh. I mean, I could go on a long time. <laughs> I, sure if I not. pulled out my Audible account. I only account, have four or five. So. There, I, have, I own 600 plus books in Audible. Well, <laughs> I my, go through the list. What my populist friend left out was William Shakespeare. Uh, <laughs> he, he did not write novels. Those are essentially novels. I know they're plays, but they're essentially <laughs> novels to me. Uh, no, uh, John Grisham does great work. Uh, speaking of popular uh, authors, Richard Scott, Richard North Patterson. Is, read any of them. Oh, Richard North Patterson is great. Not James Patterson. Not James Patterson. <laughs> Fuck that shit. Richard North Patterson is an incredible author. I would also throw Caleb Carr in there for The Alienist. Um, what else? Oh, Andrew Vacas is one of my I favorite authors. Andrew Vacas writes about the underbelly of New York, and he's this main character called Burke. And uh, his wife in real life, uh, Andrew Vox's wife, uh, was the uh, assistant district attorney convicting or uh, sex crimes, convicting people of sex crimes. And he was ardent in exposing this kind of stuff and child child trafficking and all this kind of stuff. The books are all fiction, but they're incredible explorations of this situation with these colorful cast of characters. It's phenomenal stuff. Uh, that's our, and of course, Raymond Chandler. I mean, sure. Raymond Chandler. Yeah. So. All right, right. That was who was that? Hawkins? Yeah. Yeah, is it your turn or my turn? Uh, it's your turn. My turn. Okay. So Nathan Williams is what we read. Yes, we just did Nathan okay. Williams. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, Doug Joseph. Yes. Uh, hi, John and Steve. Congrats on making it to the episode one hundred. Now on to one thousand. One thousand. Slow down, Chief. All right, we're gonna have to Patreon it up a bit. Yeah. We're gonna get us to one thousand. We gotta get to ten thousand a month. Then. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, my question is thus. <laughs> oh well. Oh, well. <laughs> Do you think at some level a popular movie, even if it's not if it's not necessarily a cinematic achievement, is still doing something influential in cinema? For example, whether or not people like Transformers, Hey-o. it must have done something right to gross so much money with so many sequels, right? <laughs> You'd love this guy. Uh, maybe even just by showing giant robots and lots of actions on the screen in a fun way that no one had ever seen before. On the other hand, Blade Runner 2049, a movie that I would say was shot beautifully and awarded as such, mm-hmm. did not make as much money as the fans had hoped it would. So even though it wasn't a popular movie, it was awarded for being a well-crafted movie. Yeah. Sometimes it feels like popularity and skill aren't uh, related in cinema, or are they? Uh, if this question doesn't make sense, feel free to skip it. No, nope, too late. <laughs> um, but I think we live in an interesting time where the highest grossing movies uh, now might not necessarily walk away with any awards come Oscar time. And maybe that's okay. Thanks for making my long work commute more bearable. Uh, Doug, you're welcome. I hope your commute is going well right now. Um, do you want to start on this one? First of all, Doug, thank you for saying what I've been saying about Transformers <laughs> for a long time. It's true. And people hate this. And the intelligentsia certainly hate this. These supposedly lovers of of the 
good films who have Adam Sandler films on their shelves uh, and Pauly Shore films on their shelves uh, tell me how terrible uh, uh, Transformers. But they must have been doing something right for people to keep coming back multiple times over and over again until finally the uh, the balloon popped with The Last Night. And I respect that. I know not everyone's going to like those films. To me, they're guilty pleasures. I don't say they're good films. They're guilty pleasures. But I will say you're dealing in absolutes, and absolutes don't exist in the film industry. Yes, some popular films won't get nominated, but then a bunch of popular films have been nominated over the last 20 years for Best Picture. But something like The Dark Knight wasn't. So, so those are those things that were... Or Arrival wasn't uh or blade run 2049 wasn't picked and that was supposedly loved by the fans uh and loved by the film community but it wasn't picked so i would say it's always on a case-by-case basis and it's very much about the human uh pop culture what's happening within the pop culture of humanity because titanic is a very popular film got nominated for best picture and it's 1997 i know but still it was a very popular film avatar that's a very popular film we got nominated. So it happens. It's just there's no formula. There's no formula. I, I, I'm I trying to think of how best to answer the question because, of course, there's a split between popular and, and like what is sure. the biggest grossing movie of all time isn't necessarily the best movie of all time. This is a this is a complicated thing. And part of it, um, I think someone asked us sort of the desert island question mm. is there are movies that I think are the among the greatest of all time that I don't want to watch over and over and over again. Yes. And if to be a popular film, you have to be a movie that everybody wants to watch. And a lot of people want to watch more than once. Yeah. And that's not going to be citizen Kane. You know, everybody does not, I'm sorry, not everybody wants to go watch citizen Kane over you. and over again, how dare you. you know, and it's not, I mean, there's some movies, sir. How dare you? There's some movies <laughs> that are, are really great that are not, you know, like 12 years a slave Yeah, is not a movie that someone goes, I'm never going to see that again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I remember seeing uh, leaving Las Vegas and I walked out of the movie Ooh. theater and said, I'm never going to watch that movie again. Yeah. That was great. I'm done. And so, so emotionally there's reasons why those movies are. And, and the thing too, is that with transformers, and I've only seen the first one, that's it, um, is that there is something about that a spectacle that people are drawn to. And yeah. the spectacle of the Transformers movies is off the charts amazing. And the craftsmanship of those movies, I haven't seen them all, but I, I won't speak to whether or not story-wise or ever, but I am certain that in terms of the execution of complicated visual effects and stunts, there's incredible skill that went into them that thrilled people. Yeah. In the same way that you can be thrilled by a roller coaster, you know? Yeah. And, and, and I'm one of the things that you and I have never wanted to do on the cinema cinephiles is to dismiss a genre or dismiss popular films. Mm -hmm. Like I remember I went to theater school at Berkeley and it was a very intellectual place with a very intellectual PhD program. Yeah. And I always hated it. Bristled. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I remember how I was in a, a graduate course on Shakespeare and we were analyzing Shakespeare and this was as intellectual a course as you can imagine. <laughs> and it was like. How do we look at Hamlet in a neo-Marxist perspective? Oh, Jesus. Or how do we look at this as a postmodern, you know, you know, uh, dissertation on feminism? Or how? Then this is what the discussion was. I remember we were talking about Hamlet, and I said, "Well, Hamlet's a revenge story. It's like Death Wish. 
And everyone in the class like looked at me like I was a scumbag. <laughs> and I'm going, listen, Shakespeare is popular yes. entertainment. Yes. The groundlings came to watch people get killed and sword fights and jo big body jokes. Right. And it's like it wouldn't have succeeded. We think of it as this intellectual thing. And that is exactly wrong. I'm not interested in intellectual entertainment. Yep. I'm only interested in good entertainment. So for me, if it's popular and it's really good, I'm fine, you know? Well, I, but you are interested in intellectual. I would say you should amend that. I'm an intellectual. You like intellectual if it's good. If it's good. Right. Don't just do it to do it. Don't be turning your brain into a penis and, and masturbating <laughs> onto screen for two hours. Hold on. I'm just saying. <laughs> but I've got to put that somewhere. Don't turn your brain into a penis and masturbate. <laughs> on screen for two hours. <laughs> yeah. But like, so this is, uh, and I think you bring up a great point with Shakespeare. That's the thing. That's what broke the, that's what was the key for me. Because I always loved Shakespeare, but I couldn't, I could never get it. Yeah. But I knew I loved it, but I couldn't get it. And it wasn't until I went and studied in London with Selena Cadell of the RSC. And she said, the problem with you Americans is you think Shakespeare is this highfalutin intelligence. It's, it's not. It is exactly what you said. It was made for the lower classes. And if you're listening to us and you've been afraid to look at Shakespeare in this way, go back and look. It is written for the lower classes because that's who was paying the money. The groundlings who were on the ground watching this stuff, and you had to throw all the... Yes, do they deal with highfalutin ideas? Yeah, it's yeah, not that course. there's not deep stuff but in there. But it's the human condition. Well, to me, this is something, again, this is what Hoover taught me, is that if you don't entertain, you can't educate. Right. Is that you must entertain first. I have to get you to get your butt in the seat at the mm -hmm. theater and enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And if you try to... If I need to have a PhD in Roman history in order to watch your movie yeah. and understand what's happening, your movie sucks. Yeah. You know? And and, and particularly, like, I, I have a fair amount of knowledge. And if I walk in going, I don't understand... I don't think I know enough to know this. Right. Then, really, that's... Nobody's going to... I mean, I'm not saying that I'm the smartest person no, in the world. No, no, but, but, but I like, think those are the knocks against Malick's films, Terrence Malick's right. recent films. People are just like, what the hell am I watching? And yeah. me, I'm having a great time because I know I'm going in to see a stream of consciousness movie. Right. And so that's what it is. But some people really can't connect to it. Yeah. So, All right. All right. Chris King is next. Yeah. Yes. Hey, Stephen John. First, I just want to quickly say how much I love the cinephiles. I've learned so much about filmmaking and film history from the two of you and your chemistry each and every episode, along with so many great guests. It's consistently entertaining. We do have we do have excellent chemistry. Yes, we do. Thank you. Thank you so much for brightening up my life for an hour or two every week or longer. It's so nice to know <laughs> that I have this podcast to rely on, even when times are tough. Hey, that's awesome, Chris. Thank you. Yeah. My question is, if you each could break the 10-year rule and choose one great film from the past year or two to cover on the podcast... What would it be and why? Thanks again, guys, and keep on being awesome. I think I, could have done it. Yeah, my answer, I think, is more, even more so now, Blade Runner 2049. Yeah. Now, that would be a four-hour podcast. Yeah. I think. And I would want to edit it down because it was too long. <laughs> it would be two parts. Are you, are you, what's your answer again? Uh, I said Avengers, Infinity War. That's the number one answer. I don't know. Over the last two years? I don't know. Well, you have time to amend the statement. I guess we've, we might get the question again. All right, yeah, I'm, I have a feeling we will. Go ahead. Um, all right, uh, so... Billy Rock. Billy Rock. Good name. Uh, good morning. Thank you so much for such a well-produced and in-depth podcast about some iconic films. Keep up the amazing work. You have a listener for life. Well, oh, thank thanks, you. Billy. Um, question. My roommate and I have finished going through all of Kubrick's and Cronenberg's films and are going through Lynch currently. Ugh. Man, you're going out there. Jesus. Um, of those three, who is your favorite? And do you have any suggestions for a female director to profile after Lynch? We are leaning towards Agnes Varda. Wow. Agnes Varda. Um, so my favorite of those three is probably Kubrick. Sure. Um, 
Uh, I'm not the biggest Lynch fan. Neither am I, which is why we haven't done any. Yeah, I mean, I I, I remember being completely fucked up by Blue Velvet. Mm-hmm. I remember having two completely different experiences on Wild at Heart. Yeah, where I saw it one time and thought it was the funniest movie I'd ever seen, and saw it another time and was horribly depressed. But I'm not the biggest Lynch guy. Um, Videodrome fucked my shit up. Oh yeah. Um, there's obviously a lot of great Cronenberg, but I haven't gone back to Cronenberg the way I've gone back to Kubrick. So yeah. I guess Kubrick would be my favorite. Kubrick is my answer, but I would throw The Fly in there. Yeah, The Fly is great. The Fly is incredible for the time, and it still holds up. Uh, with Lynch, I agree with Steve. Um, although Straight Story is a really cool Lynch film. I haven't seen it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's. I know. I think I would really like it. It's a really good film. Most of the time, I can't relate to Lynch's films because it's it's a mentality that I don't have. And I respect that. Some people love David Lynch films and love what he does. To me, and this is my own opinion, and I'm not trying to be mean about it, to me it feels like he walks that line of pretentiousness all the time in his movies. But I love Wild at Heart because it was what I sensed was something that wasn't taking itself too seriously. It was insane. Blue Velvet doesn't do it for me. Uh, Mulholland Drive doesn't do it for me. Yeah, it didn't do it for me. Uh, Lost Highway doesn't do it for me. So all I can tell you is I respect the fact that it, that these three directors really connect to you guys. And yeah, Agnes Varda is an interesting place to explore, uh, female director-wise. Um, I don't know who else I would recommend to you. Obviously, Bigelow. Obviously, yeah. uh, there's some other ones, but like I don't know if there's anything that would fit the realm of oh, what you're exploring. Um, I feel bad, but uh, the kids are all right, and... Um... Uh, what's her name? Um, damn it. Oh, I don't know. Hold on. You gonna look it up? Oh. Sure. The kids are all right. Although that film was controversial, too, because a lot of people didn't like that, the way the, the ending went down. Oh, Lisa Chilodenko. Okay. Um, so she, she, she's a, she'd be a good, interesting director to kind of follow, too. I think Jane Campion is a possibility. Jane Campion, yeah. Sofia Coppola. Sure, if you want to dance into that realm. Well, this is, you know, this has been a problem. Yeah. There's not enough female directors Absolutely. with long enough careers. And and this is also a problem, I think. Um, you and I are two guys, you yeah. know? And and I think that's one of the weaknesses of the show. I mean, not the weakness of the show, Whoa. but, but Whoa, let me let me pull that back a little bit. Yeah. You and I are two guys, and some and we look at guy films. That's sort of our natural instinct is movies yeah. that relate to us. Yes. Um Okay. Uh, uh I would also offer you guys one non-female director to keep into that realm is Luis Bunuel. Oh, Bunuel's great. If you haven't explored Bunuel, Bunuel's kind of in that realm of Kubrick or Kubrick and uh, Lynch and all that. It's right. really interesting shit. All right, James Kang is the next one. Am I correct? Yes. This is a long one, so uh, maybe we'll get to... Hi, Stephen John, Pat- a patron here. Thank you, James. I have to say, first of all, you guys have the best content and material on movies anywhere I could find. Thank you. I have so many podcasts I listen to, but the content on the cinephiles are just what I need to hear for even movies I have absolutely no interest in. You somehow make it something I would want to watch. Now, to my question. I've always wondered how directors factor into a final product of a film when there is talk about studio meddling. Uh, I look at a movie like X-Men Origins, Wolverine, Fantastic Four, and Alien 3, where they are regarded as horrible films, and the blame comes on the directors, when it was clear that the director didn't have final say to how the film turns out. Would we want to blame the director, or can we safely blame the studios for interfering? Uh, What's your thoughts? Um... So what I would say... So you're saying how much can we safely blame directors for a failed film or how much can we blame studios for how much they wanted to change a film? 
So the first thing I would say is that movies are extremely delicate. Yeah. And sometimes it's just a reaction shot that made all the difference in the scene. You know, it's a little, little thing yeah. that made you feel something about this character that you wouldn't feel otherwise. Or the way a line works or the way, you know, uh, whether or not you're in a long lens or a wide lens or little, little things. And so the first thing I would say is that it's very hard to know why the film failed. And there's also a lot of Sunday morning quarterbacking that goes on to go like, oh, well, this is where they messed up. Well, it's hard. You weren't there. Right. And and so I don't think we usually can know for sure. Obviously, it's the studio's fault. I My tendency is to side with the artist against the business, you know, is that having been in a lot of meetings with executives, having heard a lot of stories of people in meetings with executives, this business is crazy. Mm -hmm. And the fact that there are people who go onto the set and think they know how to talk to an actor or they take a cut out of someone's hands and think they understand where we're supposed to go. Uh, in general, I think that's a problem, but you know, there are movies that a really great director had total control over and that movie turned out bad, yep. you know? So it's hard to say. Well, you know, and I think that's the answer. See, sometimes you guys ask these questions and you want black and white answers, and there's no such there's thing not. in a subjective medium because there, it's it's such a collaborative process that anybody along the way can either save a film or destroy a film. Some, and sometimes it's a bunch of little decisions that end up destroying the film overall in the big picture. And that's right. It, what Steve was saying is correct. Like I, I've seen development, or I know of stories from development with development executives where they they just have to change something so they can lean over to their a girlfriend who's 20 years younger than them or 30 years younger than them and say, I put that in, baby, I put that in. And there are other executives who actually want to save a picture because the director is too far off the reservation and doesn't understand and is too far, uh, it's too enamored with their own intelligence to understand that what they're creating is a film that no one's going to go see and it's not going to make any money. And I hate to break it to you, this is the film business, not the film artistry. It is the film business. And so the business is about making money. Yes. Do you want to make good films? Absolutely. But you also want to make money. And so you can't just make a bunch of artistic films as Blade Runner 2049 will prove to you and expect to stay alive. Well, and, you know, you need to get to the money to make your movie. Exactly. So you're going to go, you know, there, there there's two basic styles of of being an executive. One style is to say, I'm going to ask the really talented people what they want to make. Yeah. The other style is I'm going to put out into the world. I want to make a thing like this and have a talented people come to me and right. we pick one to make it. It's become more the latter. Yes. You know, particularly these things are uh, the way, it, well, here's why it's changed. It had become more the latter in network television and with the big properties and movies. And where it's changed is Netflix and Amazon and Hulu. Yeah. Because they've more done the pro the earlier, the former, and said, hey, you're talented. What, what are you interested in doing? Yeah. And to me, I'd rather have the flawed, pure artistic vision most of the time than have the corporate top-down, this is what you're going to do. But the exception to that is the Marvel movies. Yeah. You know, that is clearly run by executives. Yes. You know. But they hire talented people and the directors are involved in the collaborative process yep i think that's why they're they successful. found it really they figured well, it out balance, yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah uh from graham butler all right uh hey chaps flying badger on twitter my name elsewhere schmoville etc oh yes question are there any hollywood in quotes or film industry in general stereotypes or tropes that you have found to be false <laughs> i.e. from outside looking in there's this presumption that all successful actors live in nice houses everyone has a drug dealer on speed uh, dial oh crap i've turned into a nickelback song uh weak comedy aside question stands how much is romanticized a lot i think all those clichés exist 
But I think all those sure. people are not those cliches. No. Right. Yeah. Yes. Good point. There are some people that do have drug dealers on speed dial. There are some people who have who are successful and live in nice houses, but not everyone, because this town is full of people who are trying to maintain the status once they get there. Getting there is tough, and it's a lot of sacrifice and some luck uh, and a lot of hard work. And once you get there, there is a terrible fear of it being taken away from you overnight. And so there's an obsession that where drugs comes in or uh, prescription pills or what have you, uh, there are other people who rely on yoga, rely on working out, rely on these other things, but they also have an entitlement. Absolutely, there is an entitlement in this town. Not everyone does it, but when it does happen, you're really in shock at it. Um, I have a friend of mine who works in on the red carpets, and she does junkets, and she told me about a story with a particular actress, a third-generation actress, I'm not going to say any names, but she was doing a junket in Europe, and... She was walking out of the junkyard. She was done, and she did not want to walk into a room full of journalists. So she had all the room, all the journalists moved into a bathroom. And if you've ever been to London or Paris, you know that those bathrooms are not spacious. And so they all had to get up after they got over their disbelief and had to squeeze into a small bathroom so that this third-generation actress could walk through that room and not feel and communicate or talk to or have any interaction with a journalist. Wow. And that's the level of entitlement that I'm talking about. And some people have like only purified water in their house to shower in, not just to drink. So it's all, I think it all bleeds from who you are as a person, your entitlement. And if you are successful for whatever reason, then that entitlement comes out. You know, this story just came out with Khloe Kardashian who flew her hairstylist in from L.A. to Cleveland because her roots weren't right for a shoot. And so if you can afford it, you can be entitled. My roots aren't right for this recording. <laughs> um, so I, I would say like every horrible, crazy, insane cliche that you've heard of in, in, about Hollywood, yeah, there is worse here. Oh, yes. There is. I've experienced so much insanity, yeah. but... That doesn't mean you can go, oh, you're a movie star. You must therefore be like this. Right. That is not what it, like we had Joe Montaigne on the podcast. He is the most lovely, down to earth, completely mellow, good guy you yes. could imagine. And, and in fact, most of my experiences having you know met a few bigger stars have been mostly like that. Right. You know, and the other thing that happens is that a lot of times the story that you hear about the person that needs this thing, that didn't really come from them. That actually came from somewhere else. Right. Um, I don't know if I told this story before. We worked with, on the first movie I wrote, there's an actor named Stanley Camel who was in it. Mm -hmm. And Stanley Camel was in Monk. And, you know, he was one of those guys you saw a lot. Yep. Here's a, so, so he was our big star, you know, when we did this film. And so we were all staying at this crappy motel. And all the actors were there. And all the crew was there. This is in North Carolina. And we put him at the nicer hotel. And he showed up. And he was really upset. And he said, I don't want to be here all alone. Yeah. I want to be hanging out with all you guys. And then he told this story. And the story was, I don't think I've told this on the Cinephiles I don't before. Know. So the story was, he shows up at a movie. It's in the middle of nowhere, like in Arizona, 100, 150 miles from the nearest small town. And he gets to his trailer because all actors have to have a trailer because that's part of the union rules. That's not because they're snobs. Yeah. That's what they have to have. And the production coordinator or crafty or someone comes to him and says, Mr. Camel, welcome. Is there anything you'd like? And he goes, oh, I kind of like ginger ale. 
and they go okay and then and the next day they go to the local store and there's just like one store and they get him a case of canada dry ginger ale and there he walks into his trailer the next morning and there's this case of canada dry ginger ale and stanley camel turns to crafty and he says oh canada dry i only drink schweppes ginger ale <laughs> and he was making a joke because yes. he thought that was hilarious yeah and then but they didn't know he was making a joke and so they go to the pa and they say mr camel wants schweppes we oh. have to get him schweppes and so that guy drove 150 miles to go get Schweppes ginger ale because they only because they didn't have it because they're out in the middle of nowhere. The next day he shows up and Mr. Camel, we got you the Schweppes ginger ale, and they tell the story, and he felt horrible. Yeah, and it's like that's you know it's like if if Tom Cruise says you know I really like pastrami from yeah. this particular place, then it goes to his agent and it goes to his manager and they put it as a rider on the contract that Tom Cruise will only eat pastrami at this place. And then the rumor goes out. I don't know what Tom Cruise likes pastrami at all, but the rumor goes out that oh he's so difficult. And it's like that didn't come from him, right? You know we don't know you know the, and and the other thing too is when you get coddled and pampered constantly for ten or fifteen years. That becomes how the normal world is supposed to work. You just get used to it. You get used to it. Yeah. And and so you naturally assume that all of these things, you don't really realize the cost of what's being done. And I always find that people that want to be the most pampered are the most insecure. And that's oh, yeah. usually what I find. So when you hear stories like that, just though, just feel pity for that person. Yeah. Not don't judge them in terms of a negative, just feel pity for them. All right, Martin Windigger is next, I think. Hey John and Steve, I have kind of a three part question. Steve, have you ever thought about competing in the showdown, Steve? <laughs> Um, I thought about it. Yes. yes. Great. What would your stage name be? Uh, the Professor. Yes, I agree with that. Do you think you could take on the outlaw? Slow <laughs> the fuck down. Martin. Martin, stop it. Thanks and keep up the good work, Dennis. Oh, his name is Dennis. What? What is going on here? All right. Yes. Can I take on the outlaw? Do you think you could take on the outlaw? Do you want my honest assessment? Of course I want an honest assessment. My, my feeling is uh, that if we were in a general trivia contest yeah. with history and science oh, and literature... Well. I think I I think I'd have a damn good shot against him. In a movie one, I where I worry about it. First of all, my name recall isn't that great, and uh, I haven't watched a lot of movies since my son was born seven years ago. <laughs> so like it turned, and I don't listen to pop music, and I don't listen to, mm -hmm. you know. So I I think I would. I mean, if if I was on the show, I'd go on a training. There would be Rocky music played, and I would start doing the work. Maybe, yeah. Maybe we'll play each other like. As we're watching a schmodown, and I don't, and I'm not in the audience, like I won't watch that particular schmodown, and we'll play each other, maybe as a patron. As a patron, sure, that would be fun. Sure, I'm down sure. for that. So I, I, I think I have a chance, but I think I would, I think the odds would be with the outlaw. Okay, I appreciate you saying that's very kind of you. I'm not being kind. <laughs> You're not. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, it wouldn't be as meaningful a compliment if I was just being kind. <laughs> well, all right, fair. Uh, from Parker Holler. Yeah, you're only going to get one of these, Parker. You don't get to ask two. All right. Hey, John and Steve, can you – we'll do – it's going to be lightning round. Oh. Can, can you remember the first movie that you saw that made you cry? The Champ. Rocky. Uh, uh, oh, really? It's funny. I, yeah, I Both knew, boxing you, films. Both boxing films. Yep. Was Black and White. Citizen Kane. Oh, no, no. Yeah, probably you, It's a Wonderful Life. I think – mine probably was like a Shirley Temple or Abbott and Costello or something mm. like that. Or maybe It's a Wonderful Life. Silent film. Nosferatu, I was seven years old. Oh, Jesus Christ. That's why I've, it's, that film scares the shit out of me. Mine was uh, Charlie Chaplin, but I don't remember which one. Oh, nice. Um, R-rated. World According to Garp. 
In the wow, interesting. In the theater, it's when we did here was Excalibur. I saw it with my mom. My parents took me. They had no. They thought it was Rob Williams from Morgan Mindy. Yeah. Oh, we geez. show up and it's certainly not any Some of that. Some guy gets his what? Yep. Bit off. And the transgender stuff. First movie that had nudity. I I'm not sure. It might be Animal House, which is also R-rated, but I saw it home. It might be Trading Places with Jamie Lee Curtis when she oh. takes her top off and those incredible good, boobs come out. Good one. Breasts. Uh, your first movie date. <laughs> there was a... We went to see... What was it? I don't remember what the movie was, which shows how stressed out I must have been about the date. Yeah, I don't know. I will... No, this is the... Way, okay, so this is a good story, though. Yeah. So while you think, I'm going to tell this story. So as you've heard my trials and travails of being in love with Karen long yeah. before... Uh, she would date me. We'd hung out and I said, Hey, let's go to a movie together, which took a lot of guts for me. Cause I hadn't asked a lot of girls out. Right. And this is 1988. Okay. We started dating in 19 end of 91. And the movie I wanted to go see was the little mermaid. I said, let's oh, go to the little mermaid. It's sweet. And it's, you know, I was like, this is a good, and Karen said, I've seen that three times already. Let's go to see the War of the Roses. <laughs> oh my gosh! It's the worst a divorce possible movie. date movie of all time. Yes, which we went to see, and I tried to buy the tickets. I did buy the tickets, and then she said, "Well, I'll have to buy the popcorn," which I thought was really cool. Yeah. And to her, it was not a date. It was we were two friends going to a movie, so my that it was no date at all. She was shocked when I said, "Like, no, this was supposed to be a date." She's like, "Oh no, it's not." Yeah. Wow, <laughs> maybe yeah. clarify that, but it yeah. worked out so. I don't remember. I, I know that I went on movie dates a lot. I don't remember because I would go like chaperoned right, to movie dates, but I don't remember which one. Maybe Moving Violations is my earliest memory. With the, <laughs> sure. The Bill Murray's brother film. I remember yeah. going with some girl. I can't remember her name. Does Parker get another one? Uh, maybe because that was a quick one. Yeah. Hello, John and Steve. I'm from John's country of origin. Oh, shit. You're from Woodbridge, Virginia? Well, Parker, I shut my mouth. I will. Wait, holler. Are you related to Keith and Kevin Holler? Because I went to high school with those guys. So if you are related to them, then damn. One of them's his dad. Maybe. That's insane. Tell Keith or Kevin I said hi. Uh, I'll probably see them at the reunion later this year. I wanted to ask you guys what the process of moving to Los Angeles was like. It's something I'm dying to do in the future, especially especially for John, who is L.A. different. How is L.A. different from the uh, DMV area, which is D.C., Maryland, Virginia area? Thank you guys for your hard work and passion. Parker. Um. Well, I can't speak to how it's different from the DMV area. I moved to come to film school. Oh, I, yeah. You're, you're I, from California. I'm from California. So I moved from North, Northern California and Southern California is completely different. Absolutely. Very, very different. In fact, and the weird thing is, is that everyone, people in San Francisco hate Los Angeles. Yeah. People in Los Angeles don't hate San Francisco. No. And, and people, they're like, oh, that's a nice town. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we really are. It's, nobody hates. Yeah. Why would you hate us? Um, uh, and it was a lot of culture shock for me going to USC, having come from Berkeley. That was actually the, because I went to UC Berkeley for undergrad and I went to UC USC for grad school. Yeah. And there is a, that is a lot of difference between those two. That was a big culture shock. Figuring out like your way around LA because yeah. LA, you need, it needs, you need to find the places yeah. in a way that you don't have to figure out the places in New York or San Francisco or Berkeley or um, yeah. that was my biggest, like it took a few years to kind of figure out where the things are that I liked and find and to find my group. Once I found like by 2000, 2001, when I started to meet you and all your yeah. friends, I was like, Oh, I have a, I have a big family here now. Mm -hmm. Then it was okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what would I say? Uh, yes, because I mean, I was coming out of the military. All right. Uh, to go back to college. So I'd gone to Florida state 
But I had acquired some friends down Florida State, and then I moved cross country with my dad. My dad actually drove me. Still, the greatest trip I've ever taken in my life with my dad. Uh, anyone, to be honest with you. And we drove cross country from Virginia to L.A., and it was awesome. And it took us, I don't know, five or six days to do it. Um, and uh, the biggest culture shock is how much people don't give a shit about your feelings in this town. And how much everybody yeah, that's a big one. Everybody wants to get what they want in this town. And it is can be one of the most cutthroat towns in this in in the city or in the world rather. Because people want to achieve success and they will step on anyone, they will hurt anyone, they will ignore anyone, they will disregard anyone in order to achieve that success and still think they're a good person. And that's the difference, I would say. And it's not across the board, obviously, but you meet a lot of people like that who are driven to satisfy this hole inside themselves with success or fame and never find it, like in terms of filling that hole. And so they treat people like shit on the way up. And they don't think twice about it. And it's uh, that's the difference. Growing up in Virginia, Southern Virginia, people very courteous, very respectful, people very like aware of each other. But um, at least in my experience growing up, it's not, there were bad people, sure, but it wasn't like across the board. But when you come out here, uh, it is. And you learn to, which is why I hold on to my friends the way I do, because we don't treat each other for the most part that way. Uh, we're very aware of each other. Um, and we have our own issues in dealing with each other, but it isn't like that. Can I add something to this? Sure. One of the things, because you make bring up such a great point, and one of the things that I found so shocking, and it took me years, if ever, yeah. to really figure out how to deal with it, is what, what I'll call it is the difference between sort of the New York mindset and the LA mindset. And what it is, is that New York, when something's fucked up, they'll say, it is fucked up. Yes. LA, what they'll do is people are always, nobody wants to burn bridges. So people are yeah. really nice. Yeah. All the time. Oh, I love this idea. Oh, you're going to do great. Oh, I can take your script and do this with it. Oh, I know this person. I'm going to set up a meeting with this. Oh, this is a million dollar idea. I heard that so much. Yep. And 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 so you get your hopes up. That's what's really hard about here is that nobody wants to really say no to you. They want to say maybe to you. And and you know, like agents will do a thing where they'll do what's called a a, a, a pocket deal. Yes. Which, which basically means. I'm not going to sign a contract with you or represent you, but if you happen to book something for yourself, then I'll do the deal and then I'll be your agent, you know? And so what it is, is they give you the feeling yeah. like this is going to be something when in fact it's all going to be on you and they're going to abuse you or reject you or hurt you at any time. Yeah. It is so brutal. And to the point where I'd much rather have someone say to me, nope, mm -hmm. I don't like it. That's easy. I understand how to deal with that. Yeah. But the, but the nice, sweet, positive bullshit and what's hard is at each stage, these people want to believe that it's true. Yeah. You know, they're not, it's not just that they're lying to you. They are hoping that your project or your personality is going to be the thing. Yeah. But, you know, they're also hoping that 28 other people are going to be that thing. Exactly. It's, it's, it's horrible. Yeah. It's terrible. It's hard to feel special in this town. No. It's hard to feel unique in this town. So you just put your head down and you work, you know, and that's, at some point, I hit that wall, which is why I didn't want to do it anymore. I, a voiceover, I find so much more joy doing voiceover than I ever did on camera work. Be people more supportive in that community. People are just more positive. And doing this work that I do now yeah. 
it's great, but it's it's there's remnants of that still there where people want to achieve success. People hate. There are people that I work with in this industry who hate that I'm in the position that I'm in because they want to be in that position. They don't think I deserve to be in that position. They think they know more than I do. And so they're upset that I'm in this position. So you deal with that. And so it never ends. Yeah. And all of that is born from their insecurity and their need to feel uh, powerful like, or powerful yeah. or if they have the job then somehow it validates their knowledge of film and it's it it can be so overwhelming because i'm a sensitive guy which i wish i i really fucking wish i wasn't but right. i am a sensitive guy so i can tell in the way they speak to me i can tell in tone of voice because i'm an actor it's my job to read people i can tell when someone is is a friend and i can tell when someone's just a contact because they want something from me or they want to be connected to what i do and they want to talk shit about me behind my back well for me it's like i'm interested in the craft and the work that's what i like i like like how are we going to do a really good one of those yeah and what i really don't like is networking and talking and content all that stuff i just find it repulsive to me and you know having to talk yourself up and bullshitting and 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 being nice to a person who doesn't know anything and i just like i'm not I, I'm te- I'm bad at it. I'm not interested in it, yeah. and that is so. It's like you say, put your head down and do the work. I've done that too much. Yeah. You know, like my mistake was I went well. No one's giving me a job. I'm going to go do an internet series, which is what we did. Siren is right. one of the first internet series I've ever done. Right. I did. I've done just so much on my own, and then I'd finish a project and go. What do, do I, I do? Who do I give yeah, this to? Yeah. And the answer yeah. is nobody. And yeah. then I would go do more. And th- that's the nice thing about podcast. The podcast is that is pretty much you and I just doing the work. But yeah. we also have this audience out here, which is all of you guys who want to listen to it. Absolutely. Without having to deal with all of the Hollywood types. Yes. You know, it's just us and you. Yeah. It's not a network and studio executives and bank people and money people and contract people. Right. We don't have to care about any of that. Not yet. Not yet. Not till we blow up. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and our our next question is from Anthony Gonzalez. He oh, says, Anthony. Uh, "He says, who is your favorite athlete turned actor?" Jesus. And there's more questions here too. Now, how does that like? How does that? How do you do? You mean famous athlete, or do you mean previously was an athlete and they became an actor? Anthony does not define his terms. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, this is really tough. I, my my, my criteria ahead. would be that he has to it has to be a real athlete, not like he played, right. you know basketball in high school or something so but he was like, famous for something else in another field and then made the transition into well and his next question is actually who is your favorite artist musician turned actor so i think Ooh. we can kind of get into all these jesus this is i i'm a little okay do you have so, an answer so the, the first one that occurs to me yeah and i don't think he's a great actor but i have a love of jim brown oh yeah okay just because we talked about dirty dozen right um and then there's also we talked about um uh, Rocky Apollo Creed. Um, uh, what is his name? Just jump out of Carl my... Weathers. Carl Weathers. Right. He's another athlete, but he trainer. wasn't like famous for anything athletic wise. Yeah, he? he played football for USC. Oh, okay. Um, listen, before the unfortunate stuff, I would say OJ because he's really yeah. funny in the Naked Gun movies. But unfortunately, he's a yeah, terrible yeah. person now. So I go. There's the Rock. The Rock. That's my answer. Kaboom! End of conversation. <laughs> that is absolutely my favorite athlete turned actor. Thank you for jogging yeah. my brain on that one. Yeah, absolutely, The Rock. That's my number one choice. What, what an idiot I am to that should have <laughs> leapt to my brain so quickly. But yeah, he is so good. Not just in the action stuff. Watch Snitch. If you haven't seen Snitch yet, go rent that or watch it. Him and John Bernthal are incredible. It's a good dramatic piece. And he is one charming, cool motherfucker. Yes, yes he is. He just is. He mm-hmm. just there's something. 
Like, and I remember when he, I mean, you knew who he was because I wasn't, I'm sure. not a wrestler guy, but when he first came on the scene, I'm like, oh, is this muscle bound? Right. And it was sort of, there's the tradition of the Arnold moving yes. forward muscly guys. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, he wants to be the next one of those. I'm like, no, he's his own thing. He is. He's great. I yeah. liked him a lot. And he's grown, like he went through stages because when he first popped in, he was as big, he was a big wrestler guy doing things. Right. Then he lost weight, thinned out, thinking he was going to do these other roles that were more serious because he was told to, if he's going to be that big, it's going to limit what he can do. So you see him in Be Cool, that sequel to Get Shorty, and right. he's thinner in that. Right. But it, you will also see his comedic timing and his chops, which yeah. are so great. And then he leaned into getting bigger with the Fast and Furious stuff, and he, and he figured out that people would follow him as he got older, they'd follow him because he's got the size. Because he's got the size, they want to come see his movies. Well, and I think he 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 found his voice. Yeah. And we found him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like of like going, oh, I actually really I mean, even like, you know, Moana, you know, like oh, yeah. he's he's great. Yeah, he's, so he's good great. Man. Uh artist musician. Just like David Bowie. <sighs> okay. Um Mick trying... Jagger. Yeah. Not so much. Um, there's 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 a ton I'm sure that I'm not Chris Christopherson I really think sure. is a That's is a, a legitimate choice I, I think he's been great in a number of movies especially the Blade movies or have you seen him in some of his 70s stuff he's actually really good and I mean um, there is Barbara Streisand there but is. she's an actress I mean yes. she's, a, she's clearly a great singer right but she's also was a Broadway actress yeah so it's around the so, same yeah, time yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, do you have any foreign film recommendations That's too big a question but. Get your Kurosawa, your Boonwell, sure. your 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 Antonioni, your I yeah. mean the list will go on and Cinema on. Cinema parody, so yeah, there's tons of yeah. Tons, okay, um, <laughs> if you uh, if you had to choose and could only do one of Dances with Wolves, I already know what your answer is going to be, or The Last Mohicans as an episode, what Please. would you choose? Last of the Mohicans, which we should totally do. Sure, yeah, Last of Mohicans is much your 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 movie more than mine. Very much so. I. I've never been the biggest Michael Mann guy, wow. but but I really like Last of Mohicans. It's okay. really good. Dances with Wolves is problematic. Very problematic. I adored it when I saw it in the theater. Sure. I loved it. It's 92. Yeah. And, and you know, there's certainly a lot to talk about with it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good movie. I didn't think it would be that high on my list. Yeah. I, I, I rewatched about half an hour of it the other day. And, and when you get past that opening scene, which is really fantastic, then the film starts to veer into this other territory, and it's not as it's not as uh, symbolic now as it was in '92. And I think it had it was symbolic for its time, but it doesn't um, hold up still. Yeah, I don't me. think it holds up as well. Yeah, I watched it a few years ago. Yeah, not that I think it's a bad movie. No, yeah. not at all. It's a movie of its time, though. John, when you're watching a film that you've always enjoyed that you know is flawed. Yeah. Is there something that you personally are able to forgive more so than something else? Yes. And I think that probably stands for a lot of people who love Breakfast at Tiffany's. They have to forgive the Mickey Rooney sequence. Oh, if you're going to, yeah. You, if yeah. you're going to love them. And people crow about how much they love this movie yeah. at Breakfast at Tiffany's. So, yes, I have movies that I overlook certain things. And then they start, and the number has increased over the last two or three years with being more aware of these. Uh, gender dynamics and gender relations, being more aware of that as I watch movies from different times, uh, it becomes something that's like glaring, like neon glaring that I never noticed before or just just glossed over in my mind that it wasn't a big deal to watch now in retrospect. I said, I definitely have to make certain uh, allowances. Uh, and it all depends on the movie because sometimes that is the crux of the film and I can't like the film because of it. You know, But something like Animal House... I can still forgive it because it is funny, but some of the humor is 
is really uncomfortable if you break it down honestly, today, right? Yeah. Yeah, today, yeah, especially. Um, uh, so I'm glad you answered this question first because it gave me time <laughs> to divide my answer into categories. Sure. Oh, oh, wow. <laughs> you know that I like to divide things into categories. Sure, yeah. The, so what he, I would say is this. is First of all, it depends on the genre of the film. So if I'm sure. watching a kung fu film or if I'm watching oh, right. a dumb comedy or if I'm watching, you know, my standards are different. Like yeah. what I'm there for is different. Right. I'm not a big horror guy, but I'm, the same is true of horror. If you're, it's like... You forgive some dumb dialogue or some other stuff mm -hmm. if you're going to have the scares that you want and the jump scare and all that kind of stuff. Right. So that would be category one. Two is one of the big problems is where was I at the time that I saw it? Mm. There are movies that I love yeah. and I acknowledge as I've grown older that like, you know, there are some problems with this film. Right. But I can't not be the kid that I was when I first saw it. Sure. You know, and then the last category I think is very much what you're talking about, which is. We have to, I don't want to reject things because they're dated. Yeah. You know, you have to be able to turn your brain into a different state mm -hmm. and go, okay, I'm, I am understanding the things that are problematic about this, but I'm also appreciating it for what it was and when it was. Yeah. You know, I think, and especially the gay, the gay jokes and gay stuff okay. that really now is, uh, stands out powerfully when you watch eighties movies, the casualty of certain slurs in the 80s towards homosexual Ooh, just people. Just perfectly normal, acceptable yeah, jokes it, to be made in the mainstream. It's fascinating. It yeah. really is. We've, hey, we've improved. Yes. To some like degree. To improved. All right. Our uh, next question comes from Nikki Diboulet. Is that correct? Oh, Ndeke Boulet. All right. Jesus, these are a lot of these, too. First off, congratulations, uh, John and Steve, on the 100th episode. episode. That's awesome. Maybe they come up too late, but here are three questions I submit for this episode. Uh, what in the worst acting job of a normally what is the worst acting job of a normally really great actor actress i think it's jamie fox in spider-man 2 he was so oh. bad that it made me uncomfortable watching it he owes andrew garfield a franchise because i'm one of those who liked garfield as spider-man mm. what is the worst acting job so, of a first normal of all, i agree that's not a good one yes second of all i liked andrew garfield as spider-man it was fine sure third of all i hate that movie i think it's terrible and i think yes. it's terrible for way more reasons than jamie fox it really ruined the gwen stacy story which we finally got to see well, on the whole screen. plot didn't make sense yeah i mean just like i don't understand what the hell's going Peter on parker's dad's a spy now that's yeah, like, yeah. um so uh, worst acting performance Nothing's jumping in at the top of my head right really? now. For me, Robert De Niro and Frankenstein. Jesus oh. Christ, is he terrible in that movie? And I love De Niro to pieces, but that yeah. movie is ridiculous. Uh, and he is terrible in it. Um, it's, it's, I mean, what it is is oh. it's where people who are just, you shouldn't be playing this part. This was not for you. Yeah, Pacino and, and Jack and Jill is a thing, too. Oh, I didn't see that. Thank you God. should never see that. I, it, it, honestly, it never occurred to me to see it. Um, yeah, nothing's jumping into my head. No, nothing with no. Uh, Meryl Streep or Catherine Hepburn or. No, is there something where Meryl Streep is not good? Well, I know I'm just throwing something out, like yeah. throwing ideas out. Well, never, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, She Devil. She couldn't possibly be good in She Devil. Yeah, with Roseanne. Uh, did Ball. you see it? No, I did not. I didn't either. I'm just guessing. <laughs> I'm sure it was a terrible movie. <laughs> I feel like I'm on the right side of this, though. Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't have an answer for you. Really? Okay. Uh, that's a cop-out, but I'll accept it. All right, the second question. Who is the best combo of a great actor slash big star? Because I noticed that a lot of big stars have charisma and on-screen presence, but not a wide acting range. Think Harrison Ford, Elaine Delon, The Rock. 
What? They all have great acting range. Are you crazy? Uh, I'm not saying they're bad actors, although the jury's still out on The Rock's acting skills. It actually isn't out, but overall, their carriers consist of being them awesome, being their awesome selves on screen. And on the other hand, you have incredibly gifted actors who will never be stars like Michael Sheen, Don Cheadle, or Sally Hawkins. My answer is, of course, the obvious ones like Meryl Streep, Pacino, and De Niro, but also Jennifer Lawrence, Brad Pitt, Nicole Kidman, Will Smith, and Denzel Washington. This is interesting. Combo of a great actor slash big star. So I think I'm trying to think of how to. So I agree with all the people that they listed as those are great actors and big stars. Yeah. Um, I think where it gets weird is the person that you think of as a star. Yeah. Like who is a star? Because mm-hmm. Meryl Streep is a brilliant actress and it is her brilliantness that has made her a star. Right. The answer for me would be Tom Cruise. Because Tom Cruise is arguably the biggest star. Yes. You know, or, or has been the biggest star for the longest time yeah. in Hollywood. And man, that guy can act. Yeah. You know, and, and so I, and, and the reason I put it with him is we all know Meryl Streep can act. Right. That is not a surprise. Right. When Tom Cruise does the thing in Tropic Thunder, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Or you see him in Magnolia, or you see him, you know, it's like, this guy has range that he doesn't use a lot of the time. He doesn't get a chance to use he it. He doesn't get a time. chance to use it. So that's sort of, you know, like, I actually don't know how big a range Brad Pitt has. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's always, he's good. I don't know. This is tough for me because I have to admit, Julia Roberts. I do not like Julia Roberts. Right. But aesthetically and objectively, I have to say she's a big star. Oh, sure. And I have to say she can act. She won an Oscar for Brockovich. She's really good in Brockovich. Yep. And it's my own personal taste that I don't like her. Right. But it's not because she's not good and she's not, uh, you know, an accomplished actress. Right. But she is that combo of big star. Um, like to me, what people a, could argue Keanu. People could argue Keanu. So I, when you, what I said when we did the Matrix is, I think if as long as he's, people think of acting as talking. Yeah, talking, he's not the best. No, but as long as he's, his is a physical presence and physical acting. Yeah. he's among the best. Yeah, I agree. He's got great energy when he does yeah. that kind of stuff. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean, okay. What's next? If you have, if you have one, your favorite European movie slash director, European favorite European. Cinema. Movie slash director. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about before Jean Renoir's The Rules of the Game. That is just oh, yeah, an yeah. amazing That's movie to me. Movie. Um, F.W. Murnau. Well, because the thing is, too, there are yeah. a whole bunch of European directors who came to the U.S. Right, like Billy Wilder, and you know, like so. So, do they count? Oh, I don't know. It, um, uh, as you said, he does. Uh, he he does not, you not don't specify specifics. Um, there's some great films by Fellini, obviously Antonioni. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not saying any of the movies. Besides oh. the rules of the game, uh, Eight and a Half is an unbelievable movie. Uh-huh. Um, uh, Seventh Seal, Ingmar Bergman is obviously an un- unbelievable mm-hmm. movie. That's a great movie. Yeah, and I'm not always the biggest Bergman fan. Yeah, or Fellini. I Fellini, I I cannot get. I think it's for somebody else. Right. Uh, for, for if you enjoy it, more power to you. It's a director's. He makes directors' movies. Yes. Yeah. So for me, when I watch him, I'm completely bored half the time. I tried to see what's the one with La Dolce Vita. La Dolce Vita. Yeah, yeah. I, and man, I was trying. I was struggling in the theater, yeah. literally falling asleep. Right. And I was like, man, I should be appreciating this, and I just don't. So I don't. There are certain great movie directors that just don't uh, hit the mark for me. Well, no, I'm not. You're ones. you're a huge Godard guy. I am, and I'm less of a Godard guy. Breathless is incredible. Yeah, and because those are all talking. 
Right. And so I love that as an actor. I'm watching other actors do this incredible script. And there's things like, there's like Rome Open City that messed me up a lot. Oh. That's Italian neorealism. Yes. I mean, there, there are a lot. You know, plus you can go back to, um, you know, F.W. Murnau and, and the silent right. era. And, you right. Know, there, there's a lot. Well, like I said, it's in my parody, so it's yeah, get in there. Yeah. Boonwell is... Oh, sure. La Belle du Jour is... Uh, that's a excellent film yeah so yeah you've got those places to wander into um all right always a pleasure listening to you cheers nadine the one with whom john debated whether it is okay or not to invite your ex at your wedding yes yes i remember that what was your answer uh it is if you are uh if you're willing to like if, if you have good relationship with that person uh this is from uh roll john aranzazu oh i like it very well aranzazu. very well done mm. yeah. uh uh dear cinephiles who makes it to your Mount Rushmore of film directors? Specifically, who are your four favorite, mm. not necessarily the best directors of all time, and why? Hmm. And he specifically said favorite and not the best. Right. Not necessarily the best. I, I might be... I'm making a small mental adjustment to his question in my okay, head, okay. which is just, in my mind, Mount Rushmore mm. is like, you got to put these people up on the mountain because they founded the country. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's... That's kind of how I, yeah. that's how they, they seem for me. Yeah. So for me, uh, Orson Welles is on there. Absolutely. Yeah. For me too. Uh, Stanley Kubrick, I think, is on there. Ooh, Kubrick is a nice choice. Um, okay. Akira Kurosawa might be on there. Absolutely, Kurosawa's on mine. And Steven Spielberg. Ooh, wow. That's, now, this was just off the top of my head. Right, right, right. No one's going to hold you to it. And then John Ford you. and Alfred Hitchcock are two that are kind of thinking about two. You hate Hitchcock. That's why we've never done it. It is. A hundred whole... freaking episodes. We had never done a Hitchcock <laughs> movie for some insane reason. Now we, now we never can. Now we, no, it's, <laughs> it'll be the running gag until the end. It's the Matt Damon of, uh, <laughs> Matt Damon's going to be a guest <laughs> of the cinephiles. We promised next week we were going to do a Hitchcock Next week movie. we're going to do Hitchcock. Sorry, we, so had we couldn't to, get it to it We this had week. to bump it. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, absolutely. Wells and Kurosawa. Uh, I would say Scorsese. Yeah. Uh, for me, in the top uh, four, and I think I'd have to agree with you on Spielberg. I think you have to. I have to have Spielberg. You just have to. Uh, he's so much he's done over the last four or five decades of his work. Yeah. Four decades of his work that, like, we're still uh, moved by, touched by, multi generational, multi generations are, are touched uh, by him. He's a multi generational filmmaker. Is what I'm trying to say, and so. Absolutely. Uh, but Kubrick loses a little bit for me because I'm not a big Clockwork Orange fan, and I really hate Barry, Barry Lyndon. Yeah. I mean, with a burning white-hot passion. And I thought he uh, fumbled the ball um, at the end with, uh, with Eyes I Wide Shut. I just He's an old guy. Yeah, I don't like it. So I haven't seen it in forever. Okay. I think I saw it in the theater, and I saw it once since then, and that's it. Right. So, But yeah, it's not my favorite. Yeah. I wanted to say Ridley Scott, but he has too many misses. Um, All right, so our last question, huh? Yeah. Okay. Is um, it me or you? I think it's you. I think it's me. Okay. Uh, from Michael Green. I Your first podcast. I've been looking all over for your first podcast to listen to. Where do you guys hide it? What? It's it's Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. It's on both YouTube and iTunes. If you scroll back to June something 2016, yep. it's there. It's there. <laughs> I'll check again. We don't hide it. We have not hidden it. Yeah. Um, uh, I've listened to your show for a while now, and I will say the podcast is is that your podcast, The Rewatchables and Meet the Movie Press, are, in my hum humble opinion, the best movie podcasts out there. Thank you. It's very nice. You've made a small mistake in grouping us with two other movie podcasts that we're in better than, but, you know. <laughs> well said, Steve. <laughs> um, John and Steve, I have to ask you something else now. It's Morgan. 
Will you watch Seven, oh, Driving Morgan Miss Davy, yeah. Glory, The Dark Knight, Shawshank again? I love movies, and these films are integral to what has uh, made me who I am. As a film lover, uh, fans will have to separate the person from the actor. If not, stop watching the movies. Do you agree? Um, hope that you answer, Mike G. Um, thanks. I mean, I think we've kind of been talking about this a little bit. Yeah, but, but we can address it specifically to Morgan. For, first of all, I, I've only heard a little bit of the Morgan stuff. Right, right. right. I don't I like one of the things I hope as this process of the Me Too movement goes on mm -hmm. is that we start to develop some scale and some nuance. Nuance. Yes. Which is that, you know, I don't know what Morgan Freeman's stuff is yet, mm -hmm. but making uh comments which I would find disrespectful and terrible is not the same as raping someone. Right. You know, and so I don't know what the deal is with Morgan, but I think kind of my feeling is is that, you know, Shawshank Redemption, that's my movie. It's not Morgan Freeman's movie. And his mm. asshole shit, he shouldn't be allowed to take that movie away from me. That's kind of my feeling at this point about a lot of this stuff. I spent time with that movie. I'm not going to... That movie is good for me. Mm -hmm. And I don't feel like going to... Watching that movie is like, oh, I'm just uh, enabling an abuser. And and like I said, right. I, don't, I don't know enough about the Morgan Freeman situation to comment on that. Yeah. Well, I think I... I like, so you're asking two guys. First of all, that's, fair. that's really good. It's a minefield for both of us to talk about this. I don't think there's any absolutes. And as I said earlier, it is about your personal decision. I will not stop watching Morgan Freeman films. And I can still abhor what he did. Right. Uh, is it on the same level of Weinstein? Of course not. These are from what I've read what so, far, so far. Right. So this is whatever date we're recording this. I don't know. Nothing has come out yet to say that he sexually assaulted anyone. Uh, he, he has verbally said some things that are inappropriate. Absolutely. Uh, there is this one woman on the set who said he was he lifted up her skirt and said, are you wearing underwear? That's massively inappropriate. I would probably contend that is sexual assault. So that absolutely. Uh, one of my friends is was named in this which I don't want to say her name here on the show, but she was named, and I have been on the fence about whether to reach out to her and be like, oh, I didn't know about this. Oh, my God, are you okay? But then again, I feel like I would be, in a way, bringing it up for her again, which she's probably got enough people doing that, and I don't want to add to it. So here's what I would say. I agree with Steve that at some point, and this is a man saying this, so take it or leave it, but I do agree that we will have to develop some nuance at this at some point. And I think Matt Damon was clumsily trying to say that, and he should have kept his mouth shut because yeah. the pendulum has to swing f that's so much what, That's farther. what it seems like. Yeah, and I feel like it has to You've go that way. You've got thousands of years of horrible history right. and abuse towards people that were innocent, and yes. now the pendulum is going to swing the other way maybe too far for a while. That's as well probably it should. right. Yeah, and I'm okay with that happening as long as it captures all the people who are terrible and makes people change. It makes men... I've had to adjust my approach to certain things because I didn't think it was bad. And then you read these the uh, the women's reactions to it and you go, my God, I didn't know. And by that I mean like certain comments, oh, you look you look hot or you look good or, you know, oh, I like that dress on you or something like that. And you're not saying it in a leering way. You're just saying, wow, that looks great on you or like you look sexy in that. And you're just appreciating how beautiful they look or how sexy they look, but that how that's internalized and you don't factor in how many times they hear that through the day from different guys. And then you go, because you think yourself, you're a unique, special person saying this to this person because you have your own relationship. But you don't factor in how many times that woman has heard that that day from wearing that skirt or that dress. And if they don't ever want to wear it again because they don't want to hear those comments again. So it's all of that that I've had to kind of learn over the last few years that I didn't know 
And I'm still processing and transitioning, you know, as a person in that situation. So, and I, you know, I wasn't doing anything that Morgan Freeman did or Weinstein did. I just would see a, a woman who I know and was attractive and I would say, well, you look sexy in that or you look good in that, but that's the change, right? And so you learn from a small level to a larger level. And, um, but I certainly am in the camp where I don't want any of these people to come back. Like, I don't want Louis C.K. to come back. I don't want Weinstein to come back. I don't want any of the really gross offenders of this well, to come back. I, The first thing I think is like, and again, I'm a dude. Yeah. But those who have committed crimes should be punished for their crimes. You know, that... Absolutely. And, and it's like, what consequences... I'm very uncomfortable in the world that we have a public shaming. And I'm, I'm really, oh, really concerned about... Some of the things, something I've talked to you about coming on Outlaw Nation to talk about, but it's the thing that scares me the most because a lot of it is coming out against things that the left are doing, which are kind of my people, Mm -hmm. but there's some stuff that I don't like, you know, um, we're eating our own. What? We're eating our own. Yeah. Well, and, and just attacking people where we don't really know anything about them. Yeah. You know, but, um, but the, the, the analogy that I came up with recently is like, let's say you have, you bought a house. Mm-hmm. and you love the house and it was beautifully designed by an architect who was a great architect and you're like man i love everything about this house i love the bathrooms i love the windows i love the view i love the space and then you find out that that architect's a horrible person yeah do you move out of the house because it's a subjective decision like to me it's like the house is the object right you know it's it's your house you know and that's kind of where i i, I i'm sort of at at this moment is that to make morgan fee uh, Freeman mm-hmm. robbed me of a movie I like. Well, then that's giving him too much power on right. some level, right. you know. It, but it's hard, it, and, and I think for me at least, it's really on person by person basis. Mm-hmm. It, abso- it, it absolutely is too. Yeah, it's what did they what did they really do? Mm-hmm. Um, how much does that relate to their art? What is your relationship to that art? It's going to be really hard to to figure out. Yeah, and you know, it's <sighs> yeah, it's a subjective. Yeah, then that I mean, what else can you say? And 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 the thing is, there's gradations to this. And so if it comes out that Morgan was raping 20 women, then yeah, at that point, I'll have to reassess. Like you said with Cosby earlier in the podcast, right. he's completely done for you. And so if that comes out about Morgan, then yes, I will probably have to reassess but I, all the movies. For me, for me, right. I'm not saying for you. For me, I would have to right. do that. And the artist, the architect situation, if my wife says she's uncomfortable, then we're moving. Well, sure. Well, absolutely. And so that, and I want to make that clear. Just Steve and I have our opinions on it, but these women coming out absolutely have to be respected. Absolutely have to be heard. And uh, whatever the studios decide to do about the Morgan Freeman stuff, they have a right to do that as well in reaction. Well, and the other thing is that we have to make it abundantly clear to the next generation and yeah. to all the fucking men out there yes. who somehow saw, thought some of this shit was okay. Yeah, yeah. That this is not. I mean, it is. I, I mean, I think I said earlier, it makes me sick to my stomach. Yeah. Like the fact that, I mean, come on. Who yeah, some of the stuff you read is really horrific. And it's and it's an extension of an abuse of power, which is what Graham Butler asked us about the cliches. This is just an extension of an abuse yeah. of power. And for, you know, centuries, women yeah. have been seen as objects, whether in art or in real life. And so there's so much more to explore here. I'm just happy that finally in 2017, 2018, we're having these conversations. Absolutely. And I would suggest to anybody to watch that Frontline documentary on Weinstein that PBS did. It's an incredible documentary that explores this story. And it, this story is constantly evolving, constantly changing, and more and more people are getting snagged up in the web. And we'll see where it all ends up. But like Steve said, I hope we end up 
in a better situation overall, male-female relationships, because there's been a horrible backlash to this as well with these incels, and that has to stop. That has to fucking stop. And in the end, it's probably going to have to be men stopping other men from doing this shit in more... Uh, powerful ways and stronger ways uh, before this. You're saying you need to out. kick some ass. Uh, yeah, basically. I mean, I read this incel stuff, and I want to go whip these fuckers with bats yeah. and just kick the shit out of them because no, no, nobody owes you anything. Like yeah, that's a big nobody button. owes you a goddamn thing. Yeah, that's the pa- that's the pampered nature of telling everyone how special they fucking are from birth. Nah, dog. Yeah. Nah, dog. Everyone is special, sure, but. You have to go and earn your keep in this world, and no one owes you dick. And anyone suggesting, which some of the people have been suggesting as a result, that they that these women should allow these men to sleep with them, or these teenagers should allow these teenage men to sleep with them, can go to hell. Yeah. Can go straight to hell. It ain't your daughter. It's real nice to say that as your pundit. It ain't your daughter who's out there, you know, you're making give her virginity to somebody or her her sexuality to somebody. You're out of your damn mind. So, uh, you know, this is all changing and evolving and this is how it goes, you know? So I think that last question brought a lot of passion out of both of us. <laughs> and I would like to just bring it back yeah, for sure. a moment. Something positive. Um, which is that, is there anything you feel like you, what's the biggest thing you've learned on the last uh, 100 episodes? Oh. Well, you mean like about what? Like specifically, what do you mean? Well, we, we have done a deep dive into close to 100 movies. We have gone all the way back to the silent era. We've gone through, you know, dramas and comedies and horror films. We've talked a lot about of a lot of different directors. I think the number one thing that I've learned, and this is the honest truth, is the wealth of technical knowledge that you have at your fingertips. Oh, Oh, thank you. And the amount, no, honestly, and that how everybody who listens to this podcast should thank God that they're essentially goodwill hunting this shit which means they're getting all this knowledge for a dollar and 36 cents in late fees at the library. Because Steve, if you wanted to learn about how to be a filmmaker, Steve teaches you this in every episode we do. I am not a technical person in terms of filmmaking. I'm more about the thematic stuff and uh, symbolism and meaning. That's what excites me. That's where my, where I exist the technical stuff, and Steve does that too, obviously, but the technical stuff is where I have the gap in knowledge. So the stuff that I've learned in terms of lenses and camera placement and focus and uh, how these scenes are constructed uh, is incredible to me. And so that's, that is probably the number one thing that I've learned uh, that comes to mind. Yeah, that's my honest truth. Well, first of all, thank you. That's lovely to say. That's and true. Very, very, very appreciated. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I would say it's funny. I, mine's similar is that. I'm locked into, I know exactly what this movie's about, <laughs> you know? And the great thing about talking through these films with you and, and with our guests too, because we've had some fantastic guests, yeah. is like, I go, oh, this moment in this movie that I've seen, there was one in Lawrence of Arabia, I remember. Where I was mm. like, oh, I did not understand that, right. you know? And particularly because you're, you're in the movie in the way I'm never in the movie or rarely in the movie that mm. I go like, oh, I get to see it through John's eyes mm. and experience that, you know, that journey that you've taken. And we, as much as we have a lot of things in common, we also come from really, really different backgrounds. Yeah. And and it's been really great to sort of dis- rediscover. That's been the thing to me because the, the, the podcast has forced me to really study a film every week. Mm-hmm. And so every week I'm like rediscovering a great film and really 
you know, because the, 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 the technical knowledge I bring, that's really me cramming a lot of times a week before the film. Sure. So that I, cause you'll say like, oh, you'll bring us something. I'll go, oh, well that's because of this and this and mm-hmm. this. Well, I didn't know that 36 hours earlier. Well, you yeah, know? But, but that's irrelevant because you still have the knowledge to talk about it on the show. Right. And you know what to pick, take out and use. Right. That's your. Right. Uh, yeah. And my, that, my notes is always sort of like, well, right. this is the thing we should talk about mm-hmm. at this moment. Yeah. And that's what I find so incredible about that. But I appreciate you saying this very nicely, too, because, you know, sometimes doing stuff on Collider, brother, I don't get a chance to spread my wings as powerfully as I would like it when analyzing a film or reviewing a film. And so this this show and the top 10 show are my favorite places to come and talk about film. And I hope the fans who see me on Collider and think I'm, oh, he's the Transformers guy or he's this guy, are taking the chance to listen to us on the Cinephiles to hear how much I do know about film yeah. and how much I can analyze a film in a way that uh, you know you don't get to see all the time on Collider. You can't explore film in eight minutes. Yeah, or, or four two minutes, minutes two we were minutes. doing with that Now, Later, and Never show. Yeah. And what can you do? I mean, like, yeah. we can't talk about one look that one person gave someone else and spend right. 15 minutes going, what did that mean? Right. You know, or when we, 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 we just did, I think it will have just released at this point, like 2001, there's a lot oh, of yeah. talk about what does this movie mean? Well, yep. you can only do that when you have close to unlimited time. Absolutely. But speaking of unlimited time, I think our time for the 100th episode (laughs) has come to the end. I want to thank everybody who's been listening. Thank you for all your questions. Thank you, um, our patrons on Patreon for paying for the show. Thank you. We very, very much appreciate it. And I, for one, am looking forward to 100 more. Absolutely, Steve. Me too. Uh, I, I would like to echo that as well. Thank you to everyone who's listened to us, downloaded us, told other people about us, like just everything you've done to build the show up because we're not on a network with built-in subscribers. We built this ourselves. Yep. And so we appreciate all of you who've come over and listened to it and all of you who've been turned on by it. And uh, our listenership keeps increasing and that is due to the the amount of work you guys do on your end and the amount of work we do on our end. And we're all in this together to build this show up. And so... I just want to say I definitely uh, uh, just so appreciate it from the bottom of my heart, all the uh, compliments and all the comments and all the tweets that you guys sent out uh, about the show, um, because it's nice to know that we're spreading our love of film to you yep. and that you find some commonality here. So thank you all very much. As always, if you want to reach me, you can reach me at SR Morris. John, where can they reach you? You can always reach me at the Roca says on Twitter and on Instagram. And I think that's it for this week. Thank you very much. We will see you next time on the Cinephiles. <laughs>